Good evening. Good day, I should say. You're with Southern Sense Talk Radio with Annie, the deplorable radio chick, and of course uh, with Curtis. Uh, I'm not Annie. Uh, You can probably tell by the voice. Uh, My name is Vito. I'm Vito Esposito sitting in for Annie today. Um, I will be joined by Curtis. And uh, today's dedication is in the memory of Corporal Kyle Jeffrey Davis. So welcome, everyone. Uh, we have a great lineup uh, of guests today. Um, it'll, be, uh, it'll be action-packed. And uh, right now I'm going to turn over the dedication to Curtis. Good day, Curtis. How are you? Uh, all right. It's another sunny day here in, in Florida, North Florida, where I live. And um, hope it stay that way. It's a little cooler at night, of course, it being close to... Um, um, winter. Matter of fact, if I'm not mistaken, we should be changing clocks here soon. Um, you know, daylight um, savings time, but I'm looking forward to um, the winter a little bit because of the mosquitoes. I, I can't stand mosquitoes <laughs> and those little nets. And they're, they're not a problem in the winter time. but yeah, I'm looking for a little little cooler weather. Not, not really the winter time, but Maybe a Florida winter. Yep. So well, you, today you get all those. Just really, you have, so it, with Florida being a, a lot of swampland, you get a lot of mosquitoes. How could that be? Go ahead. Well, <laughs> thankfully, I don't live in a swamp-like area. Most of the swamp <laughs> stuff is like like South Florida, you know, gotcha. the Everglades. But I do have where I live. I do. We do have a lot of lakes. And um, thankfully, I'm not too close to one, but there's a big one, like about three miles away. And and anytime, you know, you got people that leave water out for their animals, you know, cats or dogs to drink. And mosquitoes just love to lay their larvae in water. Or people have plants and stuff like that with, with extra water in it from the rain or something. And, and you know, these things breed. And they lay lava in this water, so it's it's a challenge to to um, stay mosquito free in Florida during the summer. So, but like I said, during the winter months, hey, it's heaven down here. It's warm in the that day is. and and cold at night. Boy, you're not but, kidding, um, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have this officer, Corporal Kyle Jeffrey Davis. Um, this is read from a uh, write-up for March 25th, 2021, and the, the, it leads off with Oklahoma loses officer from assault. So I'm going to read the dedication. On Thursday, March 25th, 2021, Washington County officials briefed residents that they had lost one of their officers. Corporal Kyle Jeffrey Davis died from injuries he sustained while attempting to book in a jail suspect. The suspect turned on Corporal Davis and assaulted him. Davis, age 38, later died from his injuries. Corporal Davis was on a job when 17 local subjects had been arrested. They were all suspected to be involved in narcotics. While being booked into jail, one man began to fight back against the officer. He assaulted Corporal Davis, hitting him directly in the chest. 
This action created a severe injury that resulted in a rupture aorta. Life-saving measures were immediately taken. Davis was rushed to the local hospital. An hour later, he passed away from his injury. Davis was born in Bartlesville, Oklahoma. A resident, he graduated from Copen Public Schools. He went on to the University of Science and Arts of Oklahoma and earned a degree in history. Shortly after graduating college in 2008, Davis began his career at the Washington County Sheriff's Office. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was respected by his co-workers and earned his promotion to Deputy Sheriff in 2010. He married his high school sweetheart and settled into a happy life in Washington County, Oklahoma. The couple had recently celebrated their 10th wedding anniversary. A sports fan, Davis was an outdoorsman, loved hunting and fishing. He made his family and children his life and spent his time with them. Corporal Davis gave 13 years of service to the Washington County Sheriff's Office, where he proudly wore badge number S25. Washington County, Oklahoma was developed from old from the old Cherokee nations. The county was named after the first president of the United States, George Washington. Bartlesville, where the WCSO is headquartered, is the county seat. The town was established in 1879 and named after its first trading post owner, Jacob Bartle. The WCSO, which is Sheriff's Office, provides the primary law enforcement services for the county. The agency also manages the Washington County Correctional Facility. As we know, losing a fam family member is never easy. When the loss was preventable or due to criminal behavior, it makes the loss all the harder to bear. Families of law enforcement officers know each day that go into their jobs, there is a real risk that they may not be coming home. Corporal Kyle Jeffrey Davis leaves behind his wife and two children. The community, law enforcement, and extended family will take a great effort to help the family through their tough times ahead. David Kerr, the maintenance supervisor for the WCSO, spoke of his friend and co-worker. He could light up a room no matter how mad you were or what kind of bad day you were having, he would force you to smile. You had no choice but to laugh with him. John Copeland, undersheriff for WCSO, said that Corporal Davis brought fun into the agency. Working with Kyle was always fun. Kyle had a quick wit about him. You couldn't spend five minutes without laughing. It was routinely a competition between him and his wife to see who was going to get the first deer and which buck was going to have the biggest set of horns. The Latiz Borough Police Department shared their sorrows, sorrow with the Washington County Sheriff's Office by posting on their page, the LBPD is mourning the death of Corporal Kyle Je Jeffrey Davis of the Washington County Sheriff's Office. Corporal Davis died after being assaulted inside the Washington County Correctional Center facility on March 25th, 2021. So please 
joining, remembering this fallen hero. A resident, Joan Matthews of Bartlesville, stopped to leave flowers and asked why she responded. I wanted Deputy Davis family to know that there are people that really care, and we will keep praying. And may we all remember the sacrifice that this, this brave and dear officer, Corporal Kyle Jeffrey Davis, made in the line of duty. Thank you. Amen. Well, I'm not sure if we're going to have music after this. Oh, we go. Born in the grip of oppression, I fought for my liberty. I paid with the blood of my people. Freedom has never been free Now my door's always open To dreamers and friends When I'm attacked I protect and defend Because my name is America
You know, Curtis, I'm, I'm always uh, moved by these dedications that, that um, Annie does. And, and when you read through the dedication of, of this officer, Corporal Davis, in, in, a, in a freak, I think it's a freak accident. This, this officer probably booked in hundreds of, of people. And here he is, he's booking in a, a jailed suspect and, and he gets a, an artery, you know, uh, uh, torn and hitting him directly in the chest. It, yeah. it ruptured an artery. I mean, God almighty, it just, just a freak accident. And here this guy, all he was doing was doing his job. <laughs> and, you know, this is a guy, and I'm talking about the uh, perpetrator. This is a guy who could have been in there for some petty theft thing. Now he's going to be charged with uh, um, involuntary manslaughter. Yeah. You know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. These guys don't think. No, it, you know, but, um, it, it, what is it? Beretta was the the song. Don't do the don't do the time if you can't do the crime. I mean, all the officers are doing is are doing their jobs, just upholding the law the way where you know the suspect couldn't have the um, intestinal fortitude to uphold himself. So, you know, just it's 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 awful actually. And, and thirty one years old is just absolutely too young, um, especially when what all the man was doing. Corporal Davis was just doing his job. Yeah, and I have a son around that age, and it just tear at you that um, these things happen to people in law enforcement and and uh, even firefighters sometimes run into some dicey situations where they're being shot at or whatever when they want to, you know, put out a fire. And, um, you know, you just never know, you know, if you're going to return home that day. And, and people... People are always talking about how bad the police are and stuff, but once they get in trouble, that's who they call. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's ironic, you know. That's who they complain about. Where are the police at? But, hey, you guys, y'all y'all raised such a stink to defund the police. Now you don't have any. Now you, you want them back. You can't have it both ways. And that's the way, you know, it seems to 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 go. Especially in Baltimore, you know, our next guest can probably um, talk more about that because I remember um, whoever she was, the mayor of Baltimore one time, um, some officers got accused of um, um, involuntary manslaughter. And there was a big ruckus up there, riots broke out and stuff. And um, that mayor said... um, Please stand down, you know, let them have a day or two to vent. Can you yeah. imagine that? Yeah. <laughs> have a day. It's like having a holiday for, you know, anarchy. And that's what happened. And then she went and charged those five officers. They were later acquitted of all charges, but it's just crazy. And and when you you have to face not only losing your life, but spending life behind bars because um, some politicians don't like how you responded to a certain situation. You know, they want to, um, they want to kind of like run the show from um, the news and things like that. You know, it's no wonder people don't want to be police officers. And that's why there's a shortage, you know? Well, from between the the defund movement and you've got the communist mayors like Mayor De Plasio 
Um, and in Minnesota, you oh, know, yeah. communist, now you, you've got um, you've got bumbling Biden with his edicts uh, uh, forcing uh, first responders and law enforcement out of uh, of their, their jobs if they don't get vaccinated. I mean, it's just it, it's like a one oh, two yeah. and a three punch that's that's happening right now. Well, it's like I tell people if you you set aside the emotional aspect of this this scamdemic because they are using fear and intimidation to to get their way with the citizens. If you just look at the 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 numbers, you know they always tell you follow them, either follow the the numbers or follow the money. Sometimes you could do both, but in this case, I, I advise people to follow the numbers because. Even though 700-something thousand people died from this, sounds like a large amount of people in the United States. We are a nation of, you know, 300 and at least 330 million people. So that's a drop in the bucket when, you, you know, you look at percentages. It's way less than point zero 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 something. And nothing in, in, in life to me is a crisis. That's less than point zero 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 one percent. They don't see it that way, you know, because they've been, you know, um, the fear has been put into them by people like Dr. Fauci and the CDC, and then you got this uh, pretender president in office who's, you know, trying to make it seem like it's the end of the world if you don't get the the vaccine. But um, I say also. This is another thing I say when it comes to the numbers. Um, we have more people dying from pneumonia and influenza combined than we do this COVID. So why why haven't that become a, a national crisis? You know, nobody thinks about that. And not only that, people aren't really dying for from COVID as they were in the beginning. In the beginning, they were because a lot of people that were dying were the people over 60. You know, they have weak immune systems and, and other health issues. So anything that attacks their immune system um, is going to have a detrimental impact on them, sometimes even costing them their lives. But the thing is, they're no longer focusing on deaths, so they, they talk about cases. And you got people out there responding to cases as though they're actually deaths or certain deaths, you know, and that's not the case because 90-something percent, I think 98-plus percent of people who do get COVID survive, you know, survive it. So it's just like people don't have common sense no more or or the capacity for critical thinking. So, you know, so that's why we have people who feel that, you you need to get the vaccine and this and that and the other, or you can't come around us. <laughs> well, I got a question for you because you brought up a re- really good topic um, and a comment on this. So we have three hundred thirty-three million five hundred thirty-two thousand people. How many people, based upon the fear that's been inst- instilled and the the campaign that's going on, how many people do you think have been infected by the China virus? Just if. Do you have an idea? Even just throw out something based upon the fear that has been instilled in the in the people. What would you say that number is? Well, I would say worldwide, I think it's like five million people. 
five how million about in America? worldwide. Uh, how about oh, in, in America? America? Yeah. How many cases Who need actually, of, of the China virus? Wow. Cases now. You know, like yeah. I said, we had about 700-something thousand deaths. But cases, I would say maybe three times that amount, 700-something thousand. And you got to remember now, not everybody in that 700-something thousand that died actually died from COVID. <laughs> they will tell you it was COVID-related. That's how they get right. around that. But I would say, I would say maybe... 1.5 million, maybe, cases. All right. So we've got three, we've have 333 million 532,490 people in America. Okay. That's about, that's the population of America. Since March okay. 20 of 2020, there have been a total of 46,184,000 cases of COVID. The total number that's recovered is 35,900,525. So 35,901,000 people have recovered. 753,875 have have died from what they're claiming to be COVID-related deaths. And you've got 9,600,000 active cases. So we shut down, we shut down the American economy for 13% 13% of the population being infected with the China virus since March of 2020. And it has a 99.7% survival rate based upon the actual numbers of people that have recovered, been infected and the population. 13% yeah, it of the population. It, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense. And Something's not I, right. I will even I will even go further to say that when it comes to the cases, like I said, there there were people who were like sick with something else, pneumonia, maybe the flu, and they they categorize it as COVID because you know mm-hmm. they were getting all this money, and and that's another thing you. You have an incentive there for people to, um, well, organizations like hospitals and other medical facilities to to claim that a person contacted uh, um, COVID because it was money they were getting. I mean, after all, hospitals are a business. They're in business to make money like other businesses. But I I would say that when you look at it, this is no no nowhere near a crisis situation i mean we like i said we've had other other things that um were more um deadlier than um, this virus and um we didn't even go into um shutting down never once did we um use that option of shutting down the um uh, economy so you're right there is something, there is an agenda, and that agenda, I believe, is to, uh, first of all, get us used to being submissive and compliant to government, just another step in their plan to to make us all um, servants or slaves to the government. And I think another 
reason being that um you know globalists for 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 decades have been saying that they want to um, depopulate the planet and there is sufficient evidence that they're using uh nanotechnology to do this and they're using this covid um vaccine as a as a instrument in delivering these nanoparticles into us. There was a movie uh, came out in 2015. That fact was the last um, James Bond movie called Spectra. And do yes. that well at the box office. But there's a scene in there where they inject James Bond with um, nanoparticles into his body. And um, their reason for doing it was so they can monitor uh, where he's going and also monitor his um, his um, body uh, functions and things like that. So that's just in a movie back in 2015 now. This is 2021. I'm sure that technolo- technology has advanced since then. And um, most people think this is somehow one of the, their methods by which they will depopulate the planet because supposedly these nanoparticles um, will link up with the 5G system when that becomes fully operational across this country and the world, 5G. And then once that happens, then um, these nanoparticles and all these people that got vaccinated, um, they will become active. And whatever they're designed to do to that human being is going to happen. You know, it's going to begin. So, you know, it sounds like sci-fi, but basically they they do have this technology and they can do this. That's that's my two two cents on it. I wouldn't put anything by the globalist movement. Wouldn't put anything by it. You, You hear the term... New World Order, um, which was first uttered by uh, George H.W. Bush back in, what, 1990. Um, And now it's become uh, a more frequent phrase used, including um, the Australian prime minister and the Australian ministries. Um, You you look at how the United Nations is and the the World Health Organization um, is skewing things. Um, Then, of course, yesterday it comes out that it, indeed, there was a, a Dr. Fauci lied to Rand Paul. Rand Paul was absolutely correct um, with the with questioning Fauci on on some issues. And uh, where you know where the heck is everybody? The gain of function, which uh, which Fauci declined to answer, would always push it off. Now it turns out that they indeed use gain of function um, in funding the Wuhan laboratory. Um, and so Fauci lied. Um, so did uh, the other person who was testifying. So something just isn't right. And then you see, you hear the name Bill Gates, you hear the name George Soros, and their their population uh, concerns. You know that that have been um, as you as you rightly said. Um, and then you look at the you look at the cases, the the total number of China virus cases. How is it that China releases this virus? And you know where China is on the list of, of cases? 113th out of all the countries. They've had, they've had 96,000 total cases in China with a population of 1.44 billion people. Now, how is that possible? And yet, just last week, you had China cancel 
um, a an LPGA golf event, professional golf event, because of COVID concerns. You've got 96,600 cases of COVID with only 4,000 deaths since the onset, since they released the, the China virus. And they're, they are sitting, China is sitting below Rwanda, Cameroon, um, Uganda, Nabia, Finland as being, you know, the, as being infected. It's not like they did a great job of, of, uh, of controlling the virus. I mean, hell, they, they flew people into Milan and Italy during Milan's um, uh, huge uh, event that they have with regards to uh, the fashion, fashion industry. And, and all of a sudden, the, you know, the COVID spread, spread like wildfire in Italy. So something's not right with well, the whole thing. Being a closed society, society, you know, it's hard to get any true numbers out of China. <laughs> What? You know, they're, Are you they're serious? Going to minimize. No. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to minimize their role in this. And the other thing I want to say, a lot of people don't know it, but uh, Dr. Fauci has a financial interest in this vaccine. Um, money was spent, you know, United States um, citizens um, footed the bill for a lot of the experiments and, and things that went on in the Wuhan labs. So, and even I think as as recent as today, he still denied that um, this was um, um, anything to do with what work he was doing with the, the Wuhan lab. So you, you know, this guy's a big liar. He's uh, he's trying to keep hidden his um, financial interests in this vaccine. And another thing is he and Bill Gates, since you mentioned Bill Gates, they had um, a venture in Africa not too long ago where they were vaccinating a lot of um, children and whatnot who end up dying because of that vaccine that they, they gave them. And these folks literally, you know, were not held responsible. So if anybody ever talks about mandating um you know, me getting a vaccine, well, they're going to get a fight on, or they're going to have a fight on their hands like never before because they're going to have to hold me down by six of their biggest guys, you know, <laughs> and um, inject me because um, I'm going down for fight. Hey, I agree with you 100% on that one. And, and uh, the, you know, the governor down in Florida at least he's being proactive and he is fighting back and, and um, he is challenging these, these mandates put forth by the dictator, Joe Biden. Um, you know, everything that they accuse president Trump of everything the left accused president Trump of being a dictator, a fascist is exactly what Joe Biden, uh, Kamala Harris and Barack Obama truly are. And the, the edicts and the tyrannical edicts that they're imposing on the people is just mind boggling. Um, especially in a time when, when you know people are starting to go back to work and then to threaten their their livelihoods and threaten their jobs and threaten them for not getting the jab um you know this is this is absolutely insane and especially with only 46 million people having been um infected with the china virus or treated for the china virus since march of 2020 just this whole thing just it doesn't sound right it just really doesn't but They've, they've managed, they, the government, have managed to, um, to confine the American people. And the American people now are saying enough is enough. 
and uh, and and rightly so. You can't keep usurping your your freedoms and liberties all in the name of government control. And that's true. And as as for for the left, they are good at uh, putting uh, their their um, bad history on you know blaming Republicans you know for the the very things they are doing. And um, they got away with it in the history department because most people believe we were the slave masters and, you know, the, the, the segregationists and, and the bigots. That's how, how well a, a, a snow job the left has done on minorities, especially in the black community. And the truth is, you know, it was the Democrat Party not the Republicans. The Republicans were their liberators, but they don't know this because the left, unfortunately, controls our educational system. So they 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 control the the, the subject and uh, what's printed and what these kids learn. And I tell people wherever I go to speak, you know, it's good to ask candidates for state and federal office. You know, what you're going to do about taxes, crime, and all that, but you need to start ask, asking them, what are you going to do about this this left-wing anti-America um, agenda in, within our school systems? Because we can have the most conservative president in the White House. We can um, have um, both houses, the Senate and the, um, the House of Representatives, um, and we can control all, mostly all of the states with um, – conservative governors, but it's not going to make a difference if we keep churning out little Marxists and socialists from our educational system, because with this mindset, these young kids will eventually become young adults, and after that, they're going to become um, people who vote or people who want to run for office, and when they do run for office, they're going to carry the same socialist, Marxist, anti-American uh, mindset with them. So we, we have to we have to um, do something about our, our schools. We really do. And I believe um, if Trump gets back in, I think he's going to do that. He's going to get rid of a lot of things. And he's going to go after some people pretty much like Teddy Roosevelt went after um, – Oil tycoon um, John D. Rockefeller broke up Standard Oil, and I think Trump would do the same thing with Google and some of these others, Amazon, and all these other people that want to control our lives. You know, it it would be great, and and the the issue is with with Trump. I think he now understands um, that he is he is on his own, um, that nobody in Washington, D.C., or very, very few can be trusted. Um, You know, he had no choice but to trust uh, some people in Washington, D.C. when he moved in. Um, But that that trust circle is very, very small. And he saw how um, his, his Every effort that he put forth was was attempted to be undermined and it was undermined right from within. 
and it was within Washington, D.C., within his own inner circle. And we don't know who it, who it was. We, we may have ideas. But when Trump comes in next time, he, ha- he knows that he has to bring people that are close to him and him only. Um, it's, it's really to the point where um, this man was out on an island by himself. And the work that he did, in my opinion, and I, I became a believer as, as, his, as he continued his term or into his term and saw what he was doing. And, and really, his interest was the United States of America, and it wasn't self-interests. Um, and certainly the self-interest comes. I mean, he, as a billionaire, he knows that it happens. All you got to do is be productive. And you see how the left, how the swamp, not even just the left, how the swamp was so intent on getting rid of him. And all he did was he, he tried to make America better in every way, shape, or form. Lower taxes. A matter of fact, wasn't it the, the, the corporations were, were doing fantastic? Um, why? Because he lowered the tax rate from being the highest in the Western civilization to being one of the, the lowest, not certainly not the lowest, but it spurred economic boom. And then energy independence. Talk about a country, the United States of America. Who would have thought of it? The United States of America was energy independent. And we were selling oil to, to other countries. And quickly since January 20th of 2021, that entire situation has changed. And it's business as usual, and it soaked the American people. And then the same old sound bites were for the working families. No, you're not. If you were for the working families, gas would be $1.69 a gallon, not $3.29, not $3.50, not $4.99 a gallon in California. I, and I think President Trump, he, he had a home run, man. He was, <laughs> he did it. Yeah, I think people are starting to realize the difference in the two administrations. Trump, we we had the respect of the world. Um, we had control over our own energy um, supply, supply lines, and... Um, we had a strong and capable military. Right now, we don't have the respect of the world. Thanks to Joe Biden and his decision to cut off the uh, pipeline and put people out of work, we have high gas prices, and it's really, you know, hitting people in the the purse and the pockets. And um, they're going to remember this when it comes time for the midterm election, I believe. Uh, you know, people just, they, they, they don't like being um, in a desperate situation. And economy is depressed. Um, there are stores with shelves that are empty. There's news about all these ships, you know, anchored off the coast of New York and California and uh, with nowhere to go. Um, of recent, of course, um, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis um, um, put out an invitation for these, these cargo ships to come to Florida, Florida, and maybe some other um, port um, states that are run by Republican governors will do likewise. But people are just tired, you know. They're tired of being told that you know you have to do this, you have to do that, and you have no choice in the matter. I, I think in our DNA, even in liberals, there's a sense of freedom. And um, 
we just do not like to be be told or forced to do something we don't want to do. Notwithstanding the fact that we have a a constitution with a bill of rights to back that up. <laughs> so, you know, these are people who took an oath to preserve and defend the constitution and they are they are, you know, they are tearing it apart. They are eroding this this um, document every chance they can get. And we need to hold them accountable. You know, these people need to go to jail or at least be, you know, kicked out of office, impeached or whatever. But that will never happen with the um, Democrats controlling everything and the Republicans not having a strong backbone. So I don't know. Well, what I think big, what we have to look forward to. I, well, I think Bigfoot actually summed it up well, and it, and it certainly, it, I guess, uh, I, I believe, I mean, a hundred percent in agreement with Bigfoot. Is that Trump's loyal loyalty was to America and Americans, which is why the left, the swamp, and the establishment GOP hated his guts. And the key is the establishment GOP, and it's you know that's just it right there. It's the swamp is isn't just left and or right it's it's right down the middle it's it's a washington party and unfortunately trump was the outsider and and it's going to take more people getting elected to congress uh to into the senate into the house people like uh kim clasic or billy uh prempa you know people like that who who really do believe in america and still have that that value system and get rid of these old guard, whether they're, they're Republican or Democrat. Um, There are, there are some Republicans out there who still believe in the constitution, but you, you know, how is it that they are allowing the Biden Harris Obama regime to abridge all five components of the first amendment of the bill of rights? And there's absolutely zero outrage. And then you have Fauci telling the American people just recently, well, maybe you can get together for Christmas. Well, screw you. We are getting together for Christmas. We're getting together for Thanksgiving. We're getting together for Hanukkah. We're getting together for Halloween. And don't tell us that we can't do this anymore. This is, this is insane. That you, you have been wrong on every, at, at every point um, in, your, in, in your COVID life. As a matter of fact, the one thing, Curtis, that really struck me was the reason why Fauci was so influential was because back in, in February of 2020, he was quoting the Imperial College, I believe it was Neil, uh, Dr. Neil Ferguson's prediction that the United States will suffer two, two million, at least 2 million deaths over the next 12 months, in less than 12 months. The United Kingdom will suffer over 500,000 deaths within a year due to the COVID uh, virus. And so panic went, set in real quick. It didn't happen. 46 million people have been infected. 750,000, 730,000 have died. 753 have, have succumbed. At least not all of the 753 were COVID related. Um, but 2 million in less than a, less than a year. Now we're 19 months removed from the first cases. And President Trump was met with disdain when he when he shut down travel to and from China. And then 
we, we had we were threatened by communist Kamala that she was not going to take anything that that uh, any type of drug or vaccine that was recommended by Donald Trump. And now you can't go you can't make a turn be, if you haven't been vaccinated or if you don't take the vaccine, you're a leper in the United States under the, the Biden Harris Obama regime. I mean, this is insane, man. <laughs> it is. Um let me say this real quick. Uh, we're supposed to have, um, as our guest on this period, Kim Classic, but um, uh, we have not heard from her, and I don't know if we were supposed to call her or whatever. I, I you know, I do have her number from the last time uh, we, we spoke with her about a year ago, so I just text her. So hopefully okay. it's still a good number. But anyway, um, I was going to say. Back in 1977, something similar occurred as, as um, the um, buildup to um, this coronavirus. But back then, it was it was called the um, swine flu, mm. and the country was just panicking over this because the, the their projections um, were so huge that the whole world was in a state of panic. And the thing about it is, it just didn't come to fruition. You know, it wasn't a, it wasn't as impactful as they thought it would be. Matter of fact, it was almost a non-event. But it just goes to show you that um, you can't trust their numbers all the time or no. their projections. Um, I was I was around on that time in boot camp, and um, they was giving out the swine flu, sh- you know, shots. And that day, I mean, all you heard was ambulance all the way in the evening, all the way through the night on, um, you know, the base just picking up people who had a reaction to that swine flu shot. So (laughs) sometimes the the cure is worse than the, uh, how they say it, (laughs) the the ailment, you know, the disease or whatever. I think it's. I think that's the case with the uh, with the China virus issue. I, it's just something doesn't add up right with the China virus, um, and and I think that uh, I would be concerned. I certainly. I've I've not gotten the jab yet, and um, I'm resistant to it. And I, even if I lose my job, I, I you know that's fine with me. But I'm just not going to. I'm not buying it. I really am not buying it. And then you look at the 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 side effects. How many airline pilots have died from blood clots um, as a result of, of getting the, the jab and um, the side effects of people having, you know, not just aches and pains, but other other calamities that have um, that that they've felt. And it just I just I don't know. I, something's just not right with this whole thing. I just it just well, it doesn't sit well with me. I would even go as far as to say that this this was also uh, an attempt to um, impact the election of 2020 mm, by placing um, Trump in a bad light. Because think about it, he was being advised not to um, to stop um, travel between China and some other countries and the United States. He had he not put in place um, those travel bans had he not put in place those travel bans 
more people would have died, and I think they would have just ganged up on him and said, look, you know, this guy let all these people die because he didn't take action. And, you know, then that would have impact, well, they would hope that it would impact his his bid for re-election. But um, he was smart enough and wise enough to um, go against those who were telling him not to impose a travel ban, and he did. And I'm, I'm sure that minimized the spread of this coronavirus, China virus or Wuhan virus, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> you know, that, that's a been. really good point. That you, I think you, you hit the nail on the head with that assessment because there was, Donald Trump had, had very good instinct, and his instinct told him which way to react. And I think you, had a, you have a swamp, an establishment that was led by Nasty Pelosi and, and, and um, uh, with Jerry Nadler who, who thought and they could build a campaign that, that there was a mental issue with Donald Trump. When in fact you don't build a billion dollar empire, okay, and and uh, and be that successful. So, I, I I really do believe that he had great instinct, and that was really what what really bothered the establishment, and that's why we saw Nasty Pelosi going into Chinatown in San Francisco, and she changed the narrative to be an attack on the on the the Chinese people, and then you had. Um, uh, uh, Biden, bumbling Biden, calling Trump um, a xenophobe and a racist for shutting down travel when it turned out it was the oh, right yeah. thing to do. Oh, yeah. And then they had the nerve to attack him, say he didn't, uh, he didn't do fast enough. <laughs> I tell you, they have no shame, you know, in their game. They have no shame. Uh, I mean, there, there's plenty of documented recordings of these people saying that Americans should not be forced or mandated into taking a shot. The same, same um, liberal politicians now, you know, they, they're singing a different tune. You know, everybody needs to get it. But before, you know, uh, we would never do that, you know. And right. the fact is they're being protected by the media. The oh. by media because... Um, the, the people who are the most uneducated about politics are the ones that watch the mainstream news or mainstream news network. And they're not going to mention things like that. They're not going to do anything that goes against the um, agenda of the left. So, um, of course, they, they believe in what they're being told because they they had no other reason not to believe, and especially after they've been brainwash into distrusting Republicans. I mean, they hate us. I mean, and on an emotional level, when I talk to blacks in the black community in the urban areas, they don't talk, they don't talk politics. They, they argue. I mean, you swore that um, Republicans um, put them out on the street or something, took their home away from them or something, because I mean, they come at you with emotion you know, it's real personal, and uh, it's sad because they have no knowledge that the people they've been taught to hate is the the the, the party that liberated their ancestors, and the, the people who oppressed their ancestors are who they are in bed with now today, and that's the Democrat Party. So it's it's really a tough challenge for 
for people like myself, um, Kim Classen, um, K. Carl Smith, and others to, to reach these people because um, they're only exposed to one one perspective, you know, one view. And um, so, we know how that is when you go on the view. It's like <laughs> five to one. I mean, four to one. <laughs> four of them against one conservative. And any guest that's conservative, they beat up on. Or like Whoopi told um, Judge Janine to get the F out, you know, and follow her, you know, into the corridors of the building, cussing. It's, just, it's horrible, you know. I mean, you cannot have a different viewpoint these days than anybody else without attacking them. Right. Right. And you know what's impressive is, I, I, I really do feel what's impressive is, when I, I look at um, Kim Klasik and I look at uh, Billy uh, Prempa, and they have, they have this, this um, inherent ability to step outside the box and see you know, what is really happening, and they don't like what's happening. And then they realize that in the case of the Democrat Party, it's, it's, been, a, it's been a useful tool to use the black community as a, uh, as, as a foundation for their social causes. And in the meantime, they've torn up families, the, the Democrat Communist Party mentality, They've torn up families. They've made an abortion a, a, a means for birth control uh, and justify it. And they're okay with having people indentured to the federal government for their livelihoods, whether it's for food stamps, some sort of welfare assistance or welfare programs. And it's like they build a – they, the government, builds this, this, um, this class that they enjoy having them – being dependent upon the government. And now the mentality is with the, with the Democrat Communist Party and, and the swamp is to make sure that we start, we build a, a scenario where we're taking care of people from cradle to grave. We did it with the schools. We're doing it with pre-K. Now we're going to go ahead and do it with, with um, um, care for children so that we can have the working moms, because that's the whole slogan with the Democrat Communist Party. It's working families, but they could care less about working families. So now we're going to put you, we're going to pay for daycare for your children and for your child, for your infant, so you can go back to work. And we're going to take care of you all the way through college. So now you've got the, the first party. They're already taking care of the seniors, okay, under um, the Medicare and, Medi- uh, and Social Security scam. Okay, that false hope. And now how do we take care of the, the, the people when they start living their lives so that we can, we can create an indentured mentality? And that's exactly what the Marxists are doing today in, in, in Congress. Um, they figured it out. And, you know, Donald Trump was their obstacle. Donald Trump was the speed bump. And, my God, we can't allow the American people to do what they did in 2016. So therefore we're putting everything on fast track and it's no accident. I'm sorry. I I know that, that bumbling Joe Biden is not a smart man, but certainly you can't create this much chaos by accident. You're not dumb enough to do that. 
And so it has to be a situation where you've, you've created this chaos, whether it's at the border, it's Afghanistan, it's at the ports to deliver goods to Americans. I mean, everything we're seeing, Curtis, it's just, it's one calamity after another. And it just doesn't happen by accident. And that is true. That is true. And I just got a text back from uh, Kim. She was um, under the impression that we were going to contact her. So I'm oh. texting her back to let her know that Andy was hospitalized. And, um, and that's where... Um, there was some confusion about um, her being contacted to call in. But, okay. Um, this this session is almost over. Um, we only got three minutes left. But I'm going to just ask her, can we reschedule her? Um, yeah. She's in a place right now where she says it's loud. She's at some event. Um, and oh. like I said, with two minutes left, not going to be much of a conversation so no hopefully our next guest will show up so i'm going to finish this text and i'll be back all right we have a great lineup today we will have um lawrence m mead he's a professor of politics at nyu um and also dr murray sabrin uh dr dr sabrin um is the author of universal medical care from conception to end of life the case for a single payer system. And then uh, candidate for Congress, we have uh, Billy uh, Prempa. Uh, he's from Patterson, New Jersey. Got to give him kudos. He's going to be great to talk with. Um, um, very articulate. And um, he's, uh, he's tired of what he sees he's seeing happening in his community. And then the Heritage Foundation, we have Hans von Spakovsky. And uh, uh, Hans is um, interesting gentleman to speak with, and he was with the Federal Election Commission at one point. So we're going to get some insight from Hans concerning um, the election, the 2020 election. And uh, really, it would be interesting to hear from uh, from Hans with regards to um, fraud. You know, we, we hear the, the left wing um, discounts and diminishes um, and and really shrugs off that there was no fraud. And uh, they condemned Donald Trump for even having the audacity to, uh, to use the word. But we see not just irregularities. We've seen video evidence uh, as what happened in the, in the Atlanta uh, stadium when all counters were told to go home. A handful of people, four, I believe it was four ladies remained, and then they started pulling suitcases full of ballots from under tables that were draped with uh, with uh, tablecloths, so you couldn't see the uh, uh, the luggage and the that was that were was underneath the tables, and then they were putting ballot, they were feeding ballots through two and three and four times, and why did why did the voting count stop in five specific states and then restart four hours later? That's, that doesn't happen. It just doesn't happen. And so we, we are right to start questioning the irregularities, okay, it's a politically correct word, I guess. And hopefully um, Hans von 
von Spakovsky can uh, address that. And, um, you know, with regards to voter fraud being rampant, or um, is it, uh, was it a contrived statement by, by Donald Trump? Um, we all know that what we saw. We saw what happened in Wayne County at, at 4 o'clock in the morning when they were unmarked vans that, that pulled up to the back door of the Wayne County Supervisor of Election, and hundreds of thousands of ballots were dumped off. You had, you had supposedly mail-in ballots that had zero creases on the ballot forms. I mean, this, this whole thing, you know, the idea was to get rid of Donald Trump. And now what we're seeing just nine months later, nine months after bubbling Biden has taken office, we've seen utter chaos, including the botching of Afghanistan to the point where you still have Americans stranded in Afghanistan. And it's just an afterthought now. I mean, Biden won't even mention Afghanistan. It's, it's off, it's off the table. It's just an afterthought. And, You've got Kamala Harris, who was named as the border czar, um, never made it to the border. Uh, well, she went to Rio Grande, you know. Yeah, she didn't go to the hot spots. She went to a safe place, and she's yet to be back. Now, she has tossed coins at college football games. Um, she has held um, a, a roundtable at the White House for abortion issue. Uh, and, you know, and she cackles. And, and I'll tell you, Curtis, you can't have any better cackler than communist Kamala Harris. I mean, just an absolute <laughs> embarrassment. Oh, yeah. I mean, this is the woman who her own party didn't want. I mean, during the campaign, she was first to leave, you know, to drop out. Yes. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> and some people say... Um, when she was in California, she kind of like hooked up with the mayor, and they they had a little love thing going, and that advanced really? her career. We kind of know about you know her morality, but I mean I'm, that's just what I've heard and read. So don't 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 shoot the messenger. <laughs> no, Willie Brown uh, affair was well known. It was well publicized, but because she's a Democrat, um, it's off the table. Uh, you know, there are no there are no indiscretions to talk about. And you know, just like with Fauci lying to Rand Paul, flat out lying to Senator Paul during the hearings, nothing has come out of the fact that the NIH uh, uh, admitted yesterday admitted yesterday. That there's a that they they indeed were engaged in gain of function, but Fauci couldn't say it, and so he lied under oath. And what will come out of that? What what will come out of the fact that uh, that Joe Biden and the Biden crime family actually colluded and was getting millions, tens of millions of dollars from China, and his family still does in violation of U.S. law. Nothing. And then we find out that Hunter Biden's laptops, the story of that was true. So has, has the New York Post been able to repost the original tweet that got them suspended from Facebook? I'm sorry, from Twitter? No. And it turns out that it was actually verified even by, by Hunter Biden that, the, that he was compromised by the Russians. And yet there's nothing. There's no talk of it. We're going to talk about Donald Trump and Russian collusion, which was also a made-up thing, and it was created and manufactured by Hillary Rotten Clinton. 
show. I mean, you want to talk about the effort that was put forth to derail Donald Trump. And, and I still think the swamp is absolutely irate with the American people. And that's why we're seeing things put on fast track. You don't know what you like and what you don't like, but you will like what we put in there, but you don't know it. That's, that's what nasty Pelosi says. You don't, you may not know what's in that bill. You may not like it, but you don't know what's in that bill until we pass it. What, what do you, what are you saying? We know what's in the bill. We know that $3.5 trillion spending spree is, is a reckless spending package. We don't like the taxes that are incorporated with it. I mean, a, a road tax to tax you for, for your driving uh, uh, per mile. How is that going to impact people that are making over $400,000 a year? Because it impacts everybody. <laughs> Just, well, what about stupid. this thing? What about this notion that if you make over $600, um, that gives the, uh, the government and the IRS the right to uh, snoop into your bank account? <laughs> right. See what oh, you're up to. They're amending that to $10,000 now. Oh, golly. None of their yeah. business. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Like someone said, uh, I was talking to a relative, you know, if I go down to, to, to Florida, to Disney World, I'm going to take about three grand in cash. I'm going to go down to my bank. So now I have to report why I've taken out over $600 from my bank account. Yeah. That's just absurd. In detail. You're going to have to have a form to fill out. <laughs> <laughs> you know how bureaucracies and, are. It's going to be about two or three page form of why you took two thousand or three to Disney World. Yeah, right. Well, you only have a family of four, and, and so you have five people. Who are these other people you're taking? And you have the you have this administration, like like the same old tired old progressive administrations, rebuilding government. Rebuilding government employment, 81,000 IRS agents, new IRS agents would, would be hired under this $3.5 trillion spending spree. 81,000 IRS agents. Why? I mean, I mean, isn't there other things they need to be doing more important to, than what's going on in our bank accounts and our lives? Yes. Yep. Like balancing a budget, like getting rid of mask mandates and getting people back to work, like lowering oil uh, oil prices. Um, talking to a relative last week, fifty four percent increase, fifty four percent increase in heating oil over last year, and they've not used the heat once yet in in twenty twenty uh, in in this time. Sorry, after summer, so they're just coming out of summer into fall. They were going to to fill up the oil tank to top it off. It's a 54% increase, and these people don't make – they don't even make $100,000 a year. So all this garbage about your your taxes aren't going to go up one penny if you make less than 400000 a year, a 54% increase in oil, a 200-gallon tank, oil tank, 54% increase. That takes money right off the top of the budget. It's gone. The budget, it, they have busted their budget. And, and they're just going through their first fill-up. And it's not even, 
what's the temperatures now? It's been in the in the fifties in the morning. It's got it's gotten up to the seventies during the day. It's absolutely picture perfect fall. And not only are they getting hosed at the pump, or, you know, we're taking it on a chin at the pump, three dollars and twenty nine cents a gallon, three thirty a gallon. We're, we're seeing twelve, fifteen, eighteen, twenty two dollar increase in Phillips over from from when President Trump was in office, and now you're looking at a fifty four percent increase in in heating oil. Whoa. Yeah, and that's why I believe um, the left is going to get hit by a super, <laughs> I say a super tsunami next year. Because <laughs> I think not only Republicans and libertarians and independents are going to vote Republican, I think some Democrats will. The old guard Democrats, right? The old blue dog Democrats. Yeah, and those who are being, you know, swayed to switch by people like myself and others that, that are reaching out to the left. Basically, you know, I, I, I deal with a lot of family members who are Democrats and, and some friends. And I figure if I, I keep at it, you know, they'll slowly start to see see the light. Um and um, and the events going on around us will only fortify what it is I'm trying to, you know, get them to realize. So, of course, you're going to run across those who fully drank the Kool-Aid. You're not going to have an impact on them whatsoever. First of all, they're not going to want to admit that they were wrong. They have been, you know, bamboozled and, and suckered and mm-hmm. lied to. Don't deal with those people, but there are some out there who will listen and start to rationalize and uh, even use a little critical thinking and say, "Hey, you know, sounds like what CS is telling me is is right." You know, it, it wasn't as bad when Trump was president. You know, we didn't have all these high prices for for gas. We didn't have people being left behind enemy lines in Afghanistan. Matter of fact, we hadn't even heard from Al-Qaeda in years. It was always ISIS, you know, for mm-hmm. the, the last five, six years. Now, I, Al-Qaeda is back, you know. I think they're going to put two and two together. So, vote. Curtis, you, you you do a lot of speaking, okay, and you, you travel around. And so what what's the pulse that you're finding? In your speaking, are you are you seeing more and more people seriously becoming agitated with what's happening and disgusted with Washington D.C. politics, or are you seeing that you know uh, the, the real concern for um, that things get passed, like a three point five trillion dollar transportation package? What are you seeing when you go out to, and, and start speaking around um, the eastern side? Well, I'm hearing from. Republicans and libertarians and independents, they are they are ticked off. They are angry at, at what is going on. And they're they are pretty much angry at our side, our leadership for not standing up more and being more vocal. Uh, as you know, we we've had like maybe ten or eleven Republicans, I think they are rhinos that sided with uh, the Democrats in passing this enormous bill 
and then there are some who who joined up with the left to um um to sanction or go after Bannon. So, you know, it's the the mood is, hey, we can't wait till the midterms come. You know, matter of fact, they wish it was like yesterday. <laughs> because they are they at the boiling point. Uh, I mean some of them are at the point where they want to uh, <laughs> really um go after these um these um establishment types up in Washington. As the constitution says, um there's a point in time when, you know, your leadership fails you and they're not doing the right thing. It's time for you to, to, to start all over again. And you have some people at that, that, that tipping point. But I always try to remind them that, you know, we have survived a, a lot of um, catastrophes and missteps and, and encroachments into um, our liberties and freedoms and, and in the, the history of this country, we survived a revolutionary war because we we gave King George III, you know, the finger. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, had we lost the revolutionary war, our founding fathers would have been hung. And then it was the War of 1812. Of course, you know, they, they marched on D.C. and started burning the Capitol and stuff until this tornado came out of nowhere on a clear sunny day and it chased, you know, it forced the uh, Brits, the red coast to go back up to New York and eventually leave. In the meantime, you know, the, the, the range from this tornado that just happened out of nowhere, put out the um, fires and, and the buildings that were burning. And then next, you know, we had the civil war, you know, we, we, we could have lost this, this country then. But because of Lincoln and uh, the fact that we we had uh, Ulysses S. Grant and Sherman on our side as generals prosecuting this war, we won, and the South lost. And then again, I think another time in our history where we could have um, gone, you know, South was um, the 2016 election with, with Hillary. Had Hillary won. Oh man, no telling where we would be. We probably would be, um, we would have um, Russian and Chinese instructors over here teaching us how to um, become good, you know, socialists and communists. <laughs> but Trump intervened, you know. I think God intervened with Trump. So I tell them these things because I don't want them to be, you know, just like down so much that they, they give up hope. I tell them we 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 have to fight on like um, Washington did during the winter at Valley Forge. I mean, his people, some of them didn't even have shoes on or socks, and they weren't getting paid, and food was um, scarce. But you know, he and his men they persevere to fight another day. So why should we give up? So that's exactly. the move out there. Everybody picked off, and they're ready to express their anger, um, but more, more, you know, um, humane ways, not, not like the left that goes up and destroy things and creates riots and burn down stores and things like that. You know, it's, it's funny you say that it, it, 
you end with that because I think that's what's perplexing to a lot of uh, Americans. And you don't have to be um, labeled a right winger, and you don't have to be you know considered conservative to sit there and start questioning how is it that Antifa and and BLM can burn down cities, and not just one, but how many were there? Nine, eleven. Um, the continual seize of uh, seizing of property in, in Seattle, um, in Portland, and and there's no backlash. There's no, you know, where where was Congress in in expressing their outrage? And you had Jerry Nadler, Congressman Nadler, saying that what you're seeing up in the the, the Northwest was just a myth. And he used the word myth, but we saw it ourselves. We we had friends and relatives lived through the, the rioting that occurred in, in New York city and in St. Louis. And how about the retired police officer getting killed in St. Louis? And now we're talking about the, the, the insurrection outweighed everything that happened. Um, the, the hundreds of millions of dollars, the billions of dollars in damage that was let was left behind by Antifa and BLM, which I believe now as the as the uh, violent arm of the Democrat Communist Party, um, and yet we're we're talking about an insurrection that didn't happen, and as being a threat to our <clears throat> they call it democracy because they can't call it a, a republic a constitutional republic, when in fact the real threat are those in Congress right now. The real threat is the Democrat Party, um, is the establishment. Um, so, you know, what you're doing going around the country and speaking to people and, and actually, you know, putting their minds at ease, I think is great. I mean, I, I think, you know, I like your positive outlook and the fact that, you know, you brought up from King George the Third to the War of 1812 to the Civil War, you know, fast forward all the ways to, to 2016 election. Look what we've withstood. And, but, you know, can we withstand this barrage that that's you know, being put out of thrown at us right now. Um, it's like, we don't have anybody right. in Congress that's standing up. Right. And, um, you know, it's easy to, to, to go with the negative flow when things seem desperate and hopeless. And, um, I think it's good, you know, to, to bring up past history, um, where people, or this country has prevailed um, in other situations that were equal or far worse than what we're in now, because mm-hmm. it shows, you know, that, you know, we we do have the the, the capacity uh, to to join forces in our efforts to preserve what we cherish here, and we can do it and do it successfully as those um, before us did. So, you know, usually after they hear all these these um, great uh, moments in our history, they, they perk up. Yeah, we can do this. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so you being retired. Military, but not a vaccine, though. <laughs> you being retired military, What? Uh, how do you feel about the, uh, the some active duty members of the military stepping outside the box and, and speaking out? Specifically, they're speaking out against the jab, and also they've spoken out against uh, 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 or how 
bad Afghanistan was and how it was botched and covered up. So what do you what do you think about members of the military speaking out against one the jab and two how Afghanistan was botched? Well, I am encouraged that some people are speaking now. When I was in Desert Storm, they they mandated pretty much and they really don't have to mandate in the military because they own you basically. So they tell you what to do, you do it. So we got some kind of anti-anthrax shot back then. Um, but there were people back then who refused to do it. And they were, um, I was in the Navy, so they were taken to what we call captain's mass, where, you know, the captain serves in a lot of capacities. And for captain's mass, he serves like, you know, the the judge and um executioner if you want to go that far because uh, he has to met out punishment for those who violate whatever it is um, that um, they violated but I I believe that that's a good thing today especially when we have a, a case of a coronavirus situation that is shady and we don't really know the full truth about it and there's we've been lied to and um, not only that, the um, the line in the sand, the goalposts have been moved so many times. In other words, in the beginning, it was like, okay, if we all just stick together and do this for 14 days, everything will be all right. You know, wear the mask, social distance, wash your hands, everything. You know, we should be over this in 14 days. But, you know... The goalpost was changed after 14 days. Oh, we need to do it a little longer. And, you know, here we are today, almost a year and over a year and a half, and um, they're still changing the goalpost. <laughs> so, you know, people are, people are uh, highly suspect. So they have a right to speak out, even in the military, even if it, it comes at um, great risk to their, to their careers and their um, – finances. You got to take a stand sometimes, you know. I mean, like I said, George Washington and the other family fathers, they took a stand and if they had failed, it would have cost them their lives. Like I said, they would have been hung. Here in the United States, you might get some jail time but and might get, you know, put out the military. But I really can't see the military going that far. If enough people will stand up for their rights, because especially when it comes to special forces, they spend anywhere from 400000 to 600000 per man training these guys for these um, dangerous missions and things. And I don't think they're going to let a little shot, you know, come in between them and their forces. But um, I think a lot of this is just intimidation. They give you deadlines to intimidate you into getting the vaccine. But most of the time, if you refuse to get it and that deadline comes and passes, you know, then they move the goalposts again. So I'm I'm off for it. Now, as far as what happened in Afghanistan, the pullout, this would not have happened under Trump. Correct. Um, First of all, they fear Trump. And they had a reason to. (laughs) Trump didn't play. Um, And they understood that. Trump would have made sure, and the left is always big about saying, well, 
Biden just he's just following what Trump was going to do, pull the troops out. But see, the thing is, it's the way you pull the troops out that that's different, you know, here in this situation. Trump would have done it in a sensible way, you know. He would have kept the troop troop levels at at a high number while we got, you know, all the the um, the state workers out of there, the um, contractors, uh, embassies, dependents, contractors, and things like that first, and and the weapons. Now, my understanding when it comes to the weapons that were left behind, I've heard word that had this been a successful transfer of power to the Taliban, the weapons were meant to be left behind for them to use, you know, the forces that we trained. Right. So it wasn't necessarily something that was just abandoned, but because um, of the way Biden and his administration decided to to haul tail out of there, those weapons fell into the wrong hands. But, like um, the 60,000 uh, night vision goggles. Right. So... That, that, this would never happen under Trump. So here we have it today, Americans that are still behind enemy lines, and nobody's talking about it no more. It's like everything bad that that's um, Democrat, the media stops talking about it because they don't want it to influence, you know, the next election cycle. That's my thoughts on that. Yeah, I'm fascinated by how the Afghanistan has fallen off the the uh, radar completely, and and Biden is not made to answer for it either. He still hasn't been made, and it, that tells me this whole thing tells me that um, what was the the level of disdain um, that was put forth from 2017 to 2020 was all manufactured. There's no way, shape, or form that the media, which blew everything out of proportion with regards to how President Trump spoke, what he said, his policies, um, how it was how it was tackled, um, and how he was undermined, um, was something that that uh, Donald Trump was reckless and um, had had mental challenges. That's all. That was all garbage, because. We are what we're looking at by a, a media that's a willing accomplice and a facilitator for the Democrat National Party. Um, the border crisis has been ignored by this media. The a- Afghanistan was an absolute blunder. It was totally botched by Biden and Harris. And had President Trump had a record of, of that that was that bad, especially early on. They would have eaten him up, spit him out, and maybe, just maybe, he would have left um, earlier or as early as they wanted to. But he wasn't this incompetent, and he wasn't this anti-American. And President Trump knew what was needed for America, and now we have a chimpanzee in the White House who is just basically doing what he's told to do. And it's being covered up by a media that is that's that's fine with the botching of Afghanistan, the collapsing of the Afghan army that we spent billions of dollars in training. And and they didn't anticipate that. 
yet he goes on TV, he, Biden, goes on TV and says, we've planned for all contingencies. And within 48 hours of making that statement, the Afghan army collapses. Well, we didn't see that coming. Well, wait a minute. You just told us that you planned for all these contingencies. So what is it? And, and where is the media holding him accountable for making such erroneous statements? Why is he for lying? Let's just, let's just call it what it was. He lied to the American people. And yet there's no accountability for that. And, and that was huge. We lose Bagram Air Force Base, a, a, um, a, a base that was probably in a strategic location, strategic in the sense that we could watch China. We were close to China. Uh, we, we were there for, at, you know, watching Pakistan. We certainly had the radar for Iran. And we simply just walk away from Bagram Air Base after spending, what, $300 million in, in upgrading that facility? And it's like there's no, there's no seriousness. There's no consequence for it. And the American people no. are, have, have had it. They're, they're done with this. Well, when you think of the lives of our military personnel, uh, I think of Vietnam and how we lost over 58,000 lives um, in Vietnam and our politicians just walked away from it. And um, of course, as we all know, the North took control of the South and um, you have to stop and think, well, why did we even get involved in that? Why did we lose 58,000 plus lives if, you know, we're going to just walk away? What I tell people all the time is that when it comes to our military, our politicians who send us in there at the, the tip of the spear um, when it comes to diplomacy, when well, when diplomacy fails, they need to be just as committed to be committed to the mission. And a lot of times it turns out that the politicians are not as committed. So mm-hmm. what do they care about? Number of lives that are lost. Oh, yeah, they'll come to the, the funeral and 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 look all sad face and say a, a few good you know words to the you know the surviving members family members and then it's back to the beltway and back to um, the business as usual so i don't see them having a lot of um empathy when it comes right. to things like our our lives and our money especially our money. <laughs> money. That's so it's their money. Well, I think we have our first guest with us tonight, uh, today. And uh, I, I want, yeah, I believe wow. that this is Dr. Uh, Sabrin, Dr. Murray Sabrin. So we're going to bring him on or you want to uh, speak with him first? Oh, go ahead. All right. Good afternoon, Dr. Sabrin. Well, good afternoon. Pleasure to be with you. Is this Vito? This is Vito. How are you today? And then we're, uh, Curtis is with us as well. I'm doing well. It's a beautiful day here in St. Petersburg where I'm attending uh, the uh, Mises Institute uh, Supporters Summit. And this morning I spoke on a strategy for medical freedom in America, something every um, person who knows how distorted our medical system is should be supporting. You're going to get spoiled by this Florida weather. I mean, you're not going to want to go back to New York. <laughs> well, no, we moved to Florida three months, uh, four months ago. So uh, we're now permanent residents of Florida. So no more cold winters for us. 
Good for you. Congratulations. <laughs> um, we have uh, Dr. Murray Sabrum, Ph.D., retired professor of finance at uh, Ramapo College. And Dr. Sabrum was the New Jersey Libertarian Party's nominee for governor in 1997 and co-founded the Sabrum Center for Free Enterprise in the Ainsfield School of Business in 2007. Uh, you just recently wrote a book, I, I understand, Universal Medical Care from Conception to End of Life. Well, Why don't you tell us a little bit about, the, about, this, the, uh, about your book and, and the premise of it? Well, I originally was writing a book on the welfare state, how the welfare state is counterproductive, is expensive, and doesn't achieve the goals that the proponents say they do. And then in 2016, when Bernie Sanders was making such headway in the Democratic primary, touting his Medicare for all, in other words, a single-payer government system, I said, I better write something on medical care because uh, if we go down the road Bernie wants, uh, medical care will be expensive. It will be um, uh, not serving the public very well since we have evidence from single-payer government single-payer systems around the world where people have to wait months and months for basic operations that they get in the United States relatively quickly. And so I started digging into uh, medical care from both the private insurance perspective and Medicare and Medicaid, Obamacare, and I, I came to the conclusion we need to restore the doctor-patient relationship that will put doctors and patients in the forefront of medical care in this country, that we don't need insurance for everyday um, everyday uh, uh, maladies. I recall growing up in New York City in the 1950s or early 60s when my parents took me to the doctor because their homespun remedy would not uh, cure uh, whatever was ailing me, and they paid $5 per visit. There was no insurance. There was no co-pays. There was no uh, uh, clerks in the office uh, taking all your information. The doctor had a one assistant, and that was it. And then when my father had a major operation in 1961, and, and he was at Lenox Hospital in Manhattan, he was a blue-collar worker making a few bucks an hour, and Blue Cross Blue Shield took care of it, and that was it. There was no family bankruptcy. There was no expensive out-of-pocket expenses. And so that's what the purpose of insurance is, not only in medicine but in other things, to, to cover catastrophic losses, like we have automobile insurance in case we have a major accident or, or, or collision insurance when the car gets totaled uh, in a wreck. So insurance has been distorted in the United States because of something that happened during World War II, believe it or not, wage price controls. And so to attract labor during the labor shortage of World War II, because the men were out fighting uh, in the Pacific and in Europe, uh, companies that were operating in the United States needed labor. So since the government imposed the wage price controls, employees could not attract workers with higher salaries, so they gave them a benefit, a tax-free benefit called medical insurance. And since then, uh, the employer has been providing a medical insurance for employees for a good part of the population when there's no other insurance that's provided by uh, employers. So again, the government's actions distort uh, an important sector of the economy. Nearly 20% of the U.S. economy is medical care. And in the book, I differentiate between medical care and health care. Health care is our personal responsibility, what we eat, what we drink, what we ex whether we exercise or not, and do all the things that's right in order to stay in optimal health. And medical care is what we seek when we need a doctor to help us achieve optimal medical care. So in this country, we've been conflating medical care and health care, and uh, people think the government is responsible for health care. And when I became a U.S. citizen in 1959 at age 12, 
I read through the Constitution, and I took an oath to become a U.S. Uh, citizen, and there's nothing in the U.S. Constitution about uh, health care or medical care. It's not a government responsibility. And unfortunately, there are people like Bernie Sanders and others who think it is the government's responsibility. They just assert it without any legal precedent or any uh, – conception that uh, this is a bad way to deliver medical care. That's why we have medical professionals and professionals in other fields to give us the, the best possible service they can at the lowest possible price. And uh, my contention is in this book, if we freed up the medical uh, care sector, the costs would go down, I estimate, by at least 50%. The medical care costs in America in 2021, I estimate to be nearly $4 trillion dollars because in 2019, it was $3.8 trillion. And I can give you several examples of how the free market provides high-quality medical care at a fraction of what is being charged by hospitals and other organizations in our uh, distorted system. I'll give you an example. I interviewed a doctor in southwest Florida who is a direct primary care doctor. She has a practice, single pr a practitioner. The uh, practice, she only has 800 patients in a typical doctor's office. Doctors have well over 2,000 patients. That's why we have 10-minute visits when we go see the doctor. Well, she had a patient with no insurance. He needed a major operation. The local hospital quoted him a price of 20000 uh, The doctor told the patient, go call up the uh, surgery center of Oklahoma, which is a cash-only uh, outpatient surgical center. He got the operation, the transportation from Florida to uh, Oklahoma, the whole thing was $5,000. That's a 75% reduction from what the hospital was charging. It gets even better. There was, um, I, I attended a conference uh, in September in Texas sponsored by the Free Market Medical Association. Uh, I had breakfast one morning with a VP of Human Resources for an upper Midwest manufacturing company. They were tired of these excessive premiums that they were paying for several hundred employees. They hired a truck. Uh, from a company that does MRIs. That truck went to the parking lot of the company. They did MRIs at $400 a pop. That same truck with the MRI equipment went to the hospital down the street. The hospital charged charged $6,000 for the same MRI. Didn't add anything, any value, but just soaked the insurance company or whatever they paid, which, of course, they have to pass on those high, higher costs to us in premiums. Another great example is... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, I was interviewed by a Utah talk show host, and uh, he doesn't have insurance because he doesn't believe it's a, good, uh, it's a good financial decision. He needed an eye operation. His doctor said, you must have this operation, $18,000. The, uh, the talk show host said, I don't want to pay $18,000. He negotiated that operation to $1,800, a 90% discount. These are just typical examples that I've heard over the past year or so, which suggests to me that the cost of medical care is inflated by three, four, five, six times than what it should be in a free market. And so Bernie Sanders and others who are touting single-payer system paid for by the government, which means that taxpayers have to pay a lot of money to support a single-payer system, are being ripped off. And I don't like to I be have a question for you, Dr. S sure. You – you talk about you know, Bernie Sanders and, and he was pitching a single payer system. And in your book, you talk about going to a, a single payer system. So how do you get out of that negative connotation of a single payer system? I, I know you have been touching on it, but the libertarian yeah. principles is not about the government running a single payer system, is it? Right. 
Right. The single-payer system in my world is the individual or the family, just as uh, my family basically had a single-payer back in the 50s and 60s when you had insurance to cover major illnesses and you paid out of pocket to pay for routine visits to the doctor and and tests and things like that. So the components of a single-payer free market system where the individual and the family are in charge is you'd have direct primary care, which means we have to, the medical uh, schools have to graduate more direct primary care doctors so they can really take care of patients and not need as many specialists as people see today. Then you would have what I call a super medical savings account where mm-hmm. people would put money in tax-free, the money would grow tax-free, and would be taken out tax-free. And so th- this is how young people can start to build up a medical savings account so they won't need Medicare when they retire. So that's a, that would, process could begin right away as long as we get change in legislation. Then the third piece is what I already alluded to, catastrophic insurance for the really big stuff, but even those prices would come down in the free market medical care system as, as, as of the examples I just showed. And the fourth component, which would get rid of the $700 billion cost of Medicaid each year, is we would create more nonprofit medical centers. I helped create one in Bergen County, New Jersey, where we lived in New Jersey. I support mm-hmm. two others in New Jersey because they're doing great work in their communities. And uh, this is my challenge to Bill Gates and Warren Buffett and Michael Bloomberg uh, and Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk, the super billionaires in our society. It's going to take just a few billion dollars to create enough of them so we can move the 50 million people on Medicaid into these quality nonprofit centers. And boom, the taxpayers save $700 billion a year. Well, you're also going to have to have uh, the Affordable Care Act scrapped or, or wording changed Absolutely. because the Affordable Care Act, what it did was it, it made medical savings accounts virtually illegal under, under well, the, uh, the Affordable Care Act. Well, this is, this is why I'm, um, I'm really su- suggesting that we need a total overhaul of the medical uh, sector in America today because it's unsustainable financially. It's, it's $4 trillion, nearly 40, 20% of the GDP. Here's the scary part. According to the government's own projections, by 2028, that $4 billion that I project to be this year's cost will go to $6.5 billion in oh. just seven years, less than seven years. So, again, that means insurance through the roof, government subsidies will have to go through the roof if we try to maintain the current system. So if we really want, quote, a revolution in medical care, then we have to go back to really has what worked throughout American history, which is cash payment and uh, catastrophic insurance for the past uh, 67 years that's been in place. And so uh, I, I'm, I'm not apologetic for promoting free market in medicine because there are a lot of economists that don't believe it will work. But the point is, it did work. I grew up with that system in the 50s and 60s. So, again, mm-hmm. uh, when economists say it doesn't work, they don't know what they're talking about because they don't understand or, or are ignoring the reality of American health care prior to Medicare and Medicaid. And, by the way, uh, July 30th, 1965, President Johnson went to Independence, Missouri, where he signed both bills giving us Medicare and Medicaid. And, and uh, former President Truman was the first uh, cardholder of Medicare, because he was pushing that in the 1940s when he took over the presidency from uh, uh, FDR, and he was a big proponent of national uh, uh, medical care. And of course, uh, wherever it is in the world, whether it's in the UK or Canada, uh, I interviewed doctors who who, uh, practice in Canada, and uh, the the horror stories are all there. People have to wait literally months to get a knee operation or a hip replacement, where in the United States, you can probably get it in a few days or a few weeks. 
That's why Dr. the white Canadians come to America. Go ahead, Curtis. Yeah, uh, my question is, wouldn't the cost of health care go down um, significantly if more holistic treatment centers and doctors were involved in this equation? In other words, people use a more natural um, um, health remedies versus, you know, the, the pill and, and chemo and radiation treatment and everything else. Well, uh, Curtis, that, that's perfectly correct because I have a chapter in the book. I think it's chapter five on wellness and how to achieve optimal wellness. And I interviewed a long-term, uh, long-time friend of mine who became a naturopath in northern New Jersey. And uh, I've been uh, a patient of his for many, many years. He's, he's uh, provided us with great advice on natural approaches to healing. And um, he's just been—he's been—he uh, lectures at medical uh, schools, and he asks students how much nutrition education do you get as a medical uh, student, and they say maybe one afternoon, which I think is just a sad commentary in the state of medical education, because he, according to my friend the naturopath, forty percent of medical colleges—I'm sorry. Colleges get 40% of their revenue from pharmaceutical companies. So what do they learn? Prescribe drugs to treat people when all they do essentially is treat the underlying symptoms rather than the underlying causes of illnesses. And uh, another reason why I I ask that is because with this um, COVID or the China virus, um, they never stress internal a means of um, you know increasing your immune system is always mm-hmm. external measures like wash your hands, wear the mask, take the vaccine. Right. But I have kept my immune system um, jacked up to the point where you know I feel almost immune. And I've been around people who who later told me they they were diagnosed with a COVID and some mm-hmm. other things, but I've never been impacted because. I've kept my immune system boosted. And, and you know, it may cost you a few bucks to get some supplements and things like that, eat the right food for people that smoke, need to, they need to stop smoking. But I see that, you know, if we took better care of ourselves and we increase our, boost our immune system, we wouldn't be as impacted by things like um, COVID. Well, um, the, the, the data not having showed- a, a good system. Yeah, the, the data show very clearly roughly 75% of the people who have been hospitalized with COVID are obese, which means that we have a major obesity problem in the United States, and it's well known. 40% of adults in America are obese, and in by 2030, that number will, will be over 50%. And we know obesity leads to all sorts of chronic conditions, hypertension, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So, again, uh, the American... Yeah. Uh, respiratory issues, uh, uh, joint issues, because of all the weight that you're putting on your ankles and your knees. And um, uh, this is why the primary individual that is responsible for your health is the person you look in the mirror every morning. And we need a, to educate the American people about good nutrition. And for some people, it's very hard to lose weight. But the point is, it's in their power to do so. And um, right. That's why naturopaths are very important. Holistic approach is very important. Functional medicine doctors are very important because they work with patients to get their uh, 
their metabolic, metabolical situation in order, their, their proper diet and nutrition and lifestyle in order. Uh, get away from the sugary drinks. One of the things that my uh, naturopath friend told me is one of the worst things that happened when people have chemotherapy, after they finish the chemo, chemotherapy, uh, at either at a doctor's office or a hospital, uh, they typically get sugary drinks which is the worst thing that a cancer patient can get because cancer thrives in a sugary environment. So what they should be drinking is, is uh, water and other, herbal, uh, and other herbal drinks in order to uh, hydrate and, uh, and get more vitamin supplements that will build up their own immune system. So again, the evidence is out there. It's been out there for a long, long time. And unfortunately, the American people for decades have been, and I use this term advisedly, have been outsourcing their lives to the federal government, whether it's medical care, whether it's housing, whether it's education, uh, energy. Uh, we have a, a, a gigantic government in Washington that's trying to mac- micromanage our lives. And unfortunately, the people in Washington get support from a lot of academics, people in my, in my profession, who, who support this notion that government knows best. Remember the mm-hmm. 1950s uh, uh, series, Father Knows Best? Now we have a, a, a very um, uh, a version of that, of government knows best. And who are these people that are, that are in government that know better than us what we need for ourselves and our families? And this is the arrogance of the political class having run for office and, uh, and spoken to candidates. And uh, they have no conception of good economics and good finance. They think if they pass a law, pass a regulation, everything is going to be well. And now we're seeing during this whole COVID situation how counterproductive government policies are regarding uh, an illness, which is not a disease. I think they mislabeled it, COVID, as a uh, disease. A disease is cancer or heart disease or kidney disease, which have long-term consequences for an individual. But COVID, to a lot of people, is just a bad case of the flu. Let's lose the government's own data on this. The government says more than 700,000 people have died from COVID, and there are a lot of people out there who claim that number is inflated by a factor of 5 to 10 or maybe even more. Let's assume those numbers are correct. That 700,000 plus people have died from COVID, but there are 330 million people in America. That is such a small percentage of the American people that have died from COVID it's not even considered a discussion of that we need, quote, a public health uh, response to, to an illness. People die from the flu every year. We never had a crisis regarding the flu every year, where sometimes mm-hmm. as many as 80,000 people die each year from the flu, and more children have died from the flu than COVID. We never mask students in schools and ask them to social distance because of a blood bad flu season, we know if you get the flu, you feel lousy. You're not going to work. You're not going to school. You're staying home and, uh, and trying to get the flu out of your system in five days, 10 days, whatever the case may be. And I've spoken to people who had COVID. They've used um, hydroxychloroquine or z and they weren't hospitalized, uh, and, and they got through it fine. I've spoken to a retired uh, uh, professor in uh, New Jersey. He and his wife, both over 80, got covid and they went, came, through, came through it without a problem. A friend of mine here in Florida, he has diabetes. He got COVID with his wife. They did the Z-Pack, and they got through COVID without a problem. So there are so many episodes around the country of people who have used either natural approaches or just taken the proper protocols without having to go to a hospital to, to get uh, relief. And, and we know the worst thing is being on a ventilator because – from articles mm-hmm. I've seen on the internet, 
people who've been on ventilators, it's a huge percentage of people that didn't make it because of the ventilator pumping in air at a, a very high rate into their lungs. Yeah, and, the other, and the other thing, with the data that we know, uh, Vito and Curtis, is 95% of the people who died from COVID have had comorbidities. They've had diabetes, right. hypertension, cancer, all sorts of ailments. And some people have had two or three ailments. So the evidence is very clear with what Curtis said. If you're in generally good health, you're going to survive a bout of COVID without a problem. Unfortunately, the federal government and Fauci and all the others have been instilling so much fear in the American people. I'm convinced there are people that will never take off a mask in public again or an indoor setting because they're so fearful of getting an illness that has a 99% plus rate of survival. So the question is, why are we being so uh, frightened into getting an illness that of course, yes, people die from a whole host of illness. 2.8 million Americans die each year. That's a tragedy. When my mother died of cancer in 2009, uh, no, uh, there was no outcry that cancer is uh, killing people. Uh, when my father died in 2001 from uh, apparently uh, some many strokes, and then there was no, there was no um, calling him a hero, even though he was a hero in World War II, fighting off the Nazis in his native Poland. So. Um, there's a lot of misinformation out there, and with this book that I wrote and uh, came out two months ago, I'm trying to set the stage for a debate between Bernie Sanders and me to debate what type of single-payer system should we have. Should we have a single-payer government system, which Bernie wants and others, or should we have a single-payer individual family uh, approach to medical care, which a lot of people want because they would be in charge of their medical care? Well, in your book, you uh – universal medical care from conception to end of life. You give a historical perspective, and this is the conditioning part I'd like you to answer. You quoted, the American people have come to expect that the medical insurance would pay for virtually all their expenses after they met a deductible and paid a small copay. So how do you change that conditioning? And I love the word expect because that, that word just stands right out in that statement. I mean, this is how the federal government has conditioned the American people to think, but we have to change that. How do you do that? Well, this is a great point, Vito. That's why I'm on a mission with this book to reach as many Americans as possible to educate them about there is a better way. Don't you want to be in charge of your medical care that's going to be less costly, that you will be in charge, and you have to uh, uh, work with your doctor to achieve optimal uh, uh, health, and that's why I, I'm hoping to be on as many radio shows as, as possible all across the country. And if I achieve that goal and get this book in the hands of tens, uh, tens of millions, which is a, a big stretch, but the point is, I have a plan that, that I um, that I propose today at this uh, supporter summit of the Mises Institute, where we can get this book into the hands of millions of people. And if that's the case, then we can have a national dialogue finally on what the future of medical care should be in America. And uh, as being an educator for 35 years at the college level, I think I'm a pretty good um, messenger for a point of view that has a long tradition in America. It's called free enterprise and limited government and personal responsibility. Which is under attack right now. (laughs) Go ahead. Curtis, I'm sorry. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, you. I want to to um, highlight what you said earlier about fear being a factor in all this. Um, as you know, since a lot of people are not really dying from COVID anymore, 
the focus has been on cases. And yeah. we all know that well over 98% plus um, cases, people have this coronavirus, they recover. But it's mm-hmm. that they keep drilling cases, cases and cases. And for those who are already afraid, that 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 makes them even more frightened because when they hear mm-hmm. cases and how it increased, they're thinking, oh, God, you know, people dying out there still. But the thing is, you're right. You talked about influenza and pneumonia and the flu. In the past, people dealt with it at home. They didn't run to the hospital unless right. it was very severe. They went there, mm-hmm. they got some antibiotics, and went back home, got in the bed, and finished, you know, working themselves through this. But with COVID, I think what's generating these high case numbers is the fact that so many people are afraid that they're going to die that if they get the sniffles and the cough, they're going to run to the hospital. <laughs> and um, that, and, and if they label COVID, then that adds to the list of COVID cases. So, well, in the, like I said, there? if it wasn't, if, if the fear factor wasn't there, and it, if they treated this just like they did the, the regular flu, people would just stay home and um, deal with it there. Well, the case the case numbers could be could be uh, inaccurate as well because there's evidence that oh, yeah. PCR test that tests for COVID is, is are about many false positives, and mm-hmm. uh, the other thing we know is that people who die from let's say a car accident and then they test uh, the deceased and if it comes back uh, positive the death certificate says the person died from COVID when they died from a car accident so there's a lot of I, I guess fraud going on here in these death certificates and I've been on webinars where uh, holistic doctors and others have pointed out that the death certificates are overstating the true death rate from COVID because, uh, again, people do die from the flu, but most of them that die have uh, underlying conditions. So we know there's a linkage between poor health and dying from pneumonia and other illnesses that uh, like the flu and uh, uh, respiratory infections and things like that. So we've got to unpack it. That's what I did with this book and show there's a better way because people have to be in charge of their lives. One of the things that I always learned as a youngster is that when you're an adult, you you should be financially independent. Unfortunately, as we know, because of the welfare state, there are tens of millions of people and families that are dependent upon government for basic necessities mm-hmm. of life. That's not what America was built upon. It was built upon uh, personal responsibility and getting a job and or opening up a business and uh, making uh, a life for you and your family. That has gone by the wayside to some degree because of all the people that are getting some sort of government uh, check uh, in order to support themselves. And to me, this is, is not what is sustainable in America because the government keeps on throwing money at these problems and the Federal Reserve has been printing money the last two years. And guess what? Prices are skyrocketing. And uh, we may see next year a, a bout of double-digit inflation for the first time in 40 years because the Federal Reserve has gone haywire in printing money because the government uh, locked down the economy uh, a year and a half ago. The economy fell out of bed. And then the, uh, the federal government spent the trillions of dollars they didn't have. And the Federal Reserve started buying up the debt in order to cover the deficit. And now here we are 18 months later and prices are starting to skyrocket. Um, in your book, you also 
you, you, one, one statement I have to bring out. I, I love it. it. You say America's two-party system is effectively a myth. There is one party in D.C., the Washington Party, with two wings, big spending Democrats and big spending Republicans, with lobbying being a, a big effort in supporting these, these uh, politicians' campaigns and livelihoods. Do you see how do you, how do you break through this, this and, and the, the, promote this the single payer? Well, uh, I, I, as I said, I just moved to Florida in June, and I've already been in touch with my uh, congressman, uh, Congressman uh, Byron Donalds, who's uh, from New York. And so we had a nice conversation with his district director, and uh, I gave him a copy of my book, or at least I left it at his office so he could read it. And I want to have a further uh, follow-up conversation. He could introduce legislation that would help promote what I'm talking about in, in terms of uh, tax credits for donations to nonprofits, especially medical care centers that would eventually get rid of the Medicaid system. So there are things that the people in Washington who understand that you cannot have a system based upon top-down approach, what I call trickle-down medicine or trickle-down economics, where government expenditures are supposed to solve all our problems. And we know government is just a conduit for people, uh, for, for taxpayers getting ripped off, and then that money comes back to them with a big cut for the bureaucracy in Washington. But like I said, it's an uphill battle. We have a, a welfare state that's fairly cemented in America, and I want to take a sledgehammer to it, but in a very humane way by phasing it out as quickly as possible and show people that they would be better off under what I'm proposing than what we have today or what Bernie Sanders is proposing. True that. And, and in the preamble of the Constitution, you also addressed that, which I was very impressed in your book. Um, you say provide for the common defense and promote the general welfare. So in your opinion, what's meant by the promote the general welfare? Is it to establish a welfare state? I know what your answer Not at be, all. But. <laughs> Not at all. Promote the general welfare is to create the uh, economic and social conditions so free enterprise can flourish. It's all about voluntary exchange. The, the, the debate that we should have in this country is should we have – voluntary economic and social relationships, or should coercion be the centerpiece of all our economic and social relationships, which, be, which would be what? Authoritarianism and, and a full-blown mm -hmm. collectivism or socialism. And uh, again, uh, since my parents uh, fought the Nazis gallantly during World War II in their native Poland, I certainly don't want to live on a system where fascism or a form of collectivism is permanently cemented on America. But we still have enough opportunity to, to write, to speak out, and I want to do my part because I think I have an obligation as a, as a naturalized citizen to uphold my oath to support the U.S. Constitution. Absolutely awesome. Curtis, do you have any, any questions for Dr. Sabrin? Well, when are you coming to Florida? <laughs> I'm in Florida. I'm in Florida. I'm in St. Petersburg now at this conference. And then uh, we're driving back to Fort Myers on uh, Sunday. And I'm writing another book for the same publisher that uh, published my latest book, which came out three weeks ago. Uh, that's called Navigating the Boom-Bust Cycle, an Entrepreneur Survival Guide. And it's available at the Business Experts Press website. And the current uh, book that I'm writing for the same publisher is on medical insurance in the marketplace. So I'm going to call it uh, Navigating the Medical Insurance Marketplace, an Entrepreneur's Guide to uh, Low-Cost, High-Quality Medical Care. Oh, could you, if you have a website, can you give that to me and our listening sure. audience? 
Sure. com, And um, you can find all the information about the previous interviews I've done, podcasts. And um, I'm excited about uh, these two books because they're going to help a lot of people, help the country, uh, especially the second book on the boom-bust cycle because entrepreneurs need to know what to uh, do when the economy turns down, what to do as the economy is in a boom period. And uh, there's a lot of unpacking in terms of the history of the boom-bust cycle and uh, what signs to look for in order to prepare for the, uh, the bust of the cycle like we had during the Great Recession. And the medical care book, uh, the Universal Medical Care book, which is available on Amazon, um, is really to begin that conversation, that dialogue with people on the other side who think that government top-down medical care is the way to go. And I provide the evidence that it's not the way to go and provide a program of how we can free up medical care so people and their doctors are the centerpiece of medical care decisions as opposed to insurance companies and, and the federal government or state governments. Beautiful. Yeah. Rethink that, that, and, and break the conditioning of government being the delivering method of, for medical care and being the only method for delivering medical care. You're absolutely correct. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you, Vito. I've been uh, thinking about these issues for a long, long time. And, uh, my experience as so as a youngster with a medical care system that apparently works for a lot of people without government intervention, but once Medicare and Medicaid hit in 1965, the fastest growing cost in the uh, family budget has been medical care, and that's no accident. When the government gets involved in any sector of the economy, costs go up and quality goes down. That's been the history of, uh, of Western civilization. Absolutely true. You can go to Murray Sabrin, M-U-R-R-A-Y-S-A-B-R-I-N.com and check out uh, Dr. Sabrin's uh, website. And also go to Amazon.com. You can purchase his latest book. And then what was the other location for the uh, business experts business, press? Businessexpertspress.com. And uh, right now the publisher is offering a 20% discount on both the uh, paperback and the ebook. So that's good till the end of October. So people better rush and get a 20% discount. And of course, uh, with the holidays coming up, um, gentlemen, uh, this is a good time to give a gift of uh, knowledge to your friends, relatives, colleagues, whatever. Great. Great. Well, Dr. Sabrin, thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I know that you're, you know, you, you, oh, you've uh, actually uh, extended your time with us. Thank you very much, and uh, we appreciate the work that you're putting in to uh, to get this message out and to change the mindset and uh, and and put the hands of healthcare back into the American people and and you control, um, you know, the free market system and 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 healthcare delivery. Well, thank you. Uh, one challenge I'd leave you with is I challenge Bernie Sanders to a debate uh, to discuss what what uh, single-payer system should we have, the Bernie Sanders Medicare for All or the Sabrin Individuals uh, single-payer system. And I challenge him to a debate and let the, uh, let the public hear both sides of the issue. And if he doesn't uh, accept my challenge, we'll have to change his title from Senator Sanders to Colonel Sanders because he'll, he'll reveal he's a chicken. <laughs> hey, and you can you can come right here on on Southern Sense Talk Radio and have this debate. I doubt that that um, that Colonel Sanders, I'm sorry, Bernie Sanders has the backbone uh, and the facts, of course, to dispute you know the free market system versus government control. 
Well, his whole mantra is healthcare is a right. Well, Bernie, I've read the Constitution. I took an oath to uphold it like you did. There's nothing in the Constitution about health care or medical care. It's just not there. They've just created uh, an item out of uh, whole cloth. And that's why the country needs a reset in terms of let's follow the Constitution of what the government is supposed to do according to Article 1, Section 8 of the U.S. Constitution. I love the fact that you brought this, that you bring up the Constitution in your book and, and you, you actually validate exactly what our founders' uh, intentions were, not the interpretation by the socialist movement in America. So that, congratulations. That was really well done. Thank you so much, and uh, hopefully we can do this again because um, this is such an important issue because how medical care will be delivered will determine whether we have a free society or an authoritarian society because once government controls medical care, then they control you from uh, uh, conception to end of life, and that would be horrific for the American people. It certainly is. So thank, thank you so much, Dr. Sabrin. Thank you, gentlemen. It's a pleasure being with you, and hopefully we can do it again soon. Yes. Yep. Well, thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. You take care. Take now. care. And you know, Vito, we have to do like he he uh, mentioned. We have to challenge these people on the left. I I put out a challenge for, um, a few weeks ago because of the fact that there's a lot of people who want to know. They want to know why I refuse to take the vaccine. Well, I have my general thoughts on why I shouldn't, but just for the purpose of impressing impressing upon them why they took it, I would tell them, you know, um, this is what I challenge you to do as far as me taking the vaccine or not taking it. You explain to me why I should take it when the very people who are pushing this on us have exempted themselves, and I'm talking about the Congress, federal judges, and their families, and to this day I haven't gotten any anybody to challenge or explain why is you know I should take it when members of Congress and federal judges they exempt themselves, and that gets people to thinking, well, why did they exempt themselves? Because in my book, leaders supposed leaders are supposed to lead, and if they're not taking a shot, why should I? Yeah, you know, Curtis, I I have no desire to take take the shot. I've got absolutely zero desire, and 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 a lot of that has to do with and Dr. Sabrin brought it up, and we talked about it before he came on the show. We have 333,500,000 people, and there have been 44 million cases of, or supposed cases of the China virus. We have a 99% survival rate. And, and like Dr. Sabrin says, if you are proactive, hey, are some people going to contract the China virus and it'll be very serious? Absolutely. And, and we are in no way, shape, or form saying that it's not real. However, when you have a 99% Point seven percent survival rate. We have a, a a vaccine or a gene therapy that's going to be injected in our system. How do we? I, I, you know, what are we missing here? Right. I mean, Curtis, what are we missing? We're not we're not being, you know, we're not being um, conspiratorial. But you're looking at the facts. Look at the science, and it's just not adding up. 
Well, it's just like I explained earlier. There's an agenda behind this. Depopulate the, the planet and to this another step in um, getting American citizens to be compliant. Matter of fact, they are taking their cues from how many were compliant. From yes. This will embolden them in the future when they take further steps to um, um, infringe upon our liberties and freedoms because they know they have a willing majority out there, and it shouldn't be that way. And, and I believe this is because of our our educational system. They don't stress individuality. They don't they don't talk about the Bill of Rights. You know. So how right. in the world are you going to defend something you don't know you have? That's <laughs> what I say to a lot of young people and older too, that they they just trust government. I stopped trusting government um, over the uh, JFK assassination with the Warren Commission and the single bullet theory and and that um, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald was the lone gunman and things like that, you know. And then there's the um, Martin Luther King assassination. Um, how in the world did um, James um, Earl Ray get out of prison and then a month he's in Memphis and uh, with a weapon and everything to shoot Martin Luther King? And then he takes off to to um, Canada, and from Canada he flies to Europe. Where did he get all this money and stuff? So exactly. I, I wasn't buying that either. And then you had um, Robert Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, who was shot um, after he won the um, nomination in California. I mean, this guy, Sirhan, the Sirhan was like maybe six feet away. There were more bullets in the the wall, bullet holes in the wall, than he could have, you know, fired. Not only that, they found out that the fatal shot came from behind um, Bobby Kennedy's left ear. I mean, right ear. So, there again, I didn't trust government. And then, you know, it just goes on and on. So, and Watergate, of course, you know. But I stopped trusting government then. And this is what's good about knowing one's history, you know, and a lot of people don't like history. I, I hear a lot of students say, I don't like history. But to me, history is very important. Um, it, it gives you cues on um, how to deal with the future because the old saying goes, you know, if you don't learn from the past, you, you're most likely to repeat, repeat the mistakes of the past. Well, I'll tell you what, our next guest, I believe, is here, and you want to talk about somebody who agrees with you and um, is going to fight and will fight hard in, in Congress. Um, it's our next guest, and it, that is uh, Billy Prempa, and uh, Billy is uh, running for uh, Congress in Patterson, New Jersey, and uh, I'd like to welcome Mr. Billy Prempa to the show in the, for the New Jersey 9th District. Good afternoon, Mr. Prempa. Good afternoon. Thank you for having me. I'm sorry for the delay, but there was, uh, there was uh, some armed gunman situation going on in the city. I uh, was just there. But um, everything's clear now. I'm fine. Um, but, uh, yeah, so sorry for that delay. Oh, that's okay. By all means, at least you, the, the most important thing is you're safe. So that's, that's the important thing. 
yeah, I don't, I don't believe anybody got hurt, so that's, that's good. So you are running for the United States Congress in New Jersey, the 9th District. Uh, you're a U.S. Air Force veteran, a first-generation American, a conservative Republican, and an American freedom fighter. So let me ask you, what inspired you to run for Congress? Well, what inspired me to run was seeing the status quo over and over again. Like my opponent, he's been here for well over 26 years, and he's been running our, our district into the ground for a very long time. Uh, even today, within recent years, all he's been doing is bashing uh, the former president, uh, Trump, and just spewing all kinds of horrible rhetoric against uh, the Republican Party. Um, just two days ago, he was on the House floor stating that, you know, the president was a dictator and that Republicans were terrorists and that we should all go to Russia. Um, and he's just creating a false divisive narrative about what's actually going on inside of this country. And he no longer represents our, our generation. I'm 32 years old. He's 66, I mean 86. And um, a lot of the things that he stands for, nobody actually agrees with anymore. And, um, you know, I, I'm sick and tired of seeing, you know, my neighbors get shot and killed and harmed in this community and our police officers aren't getting the resources necessary so that they can do their job and keep our community safe. Um, our schools are failing tremendously and there's nothing that's been done to reform our school system. What I would like to do when I get to Congress is push for, for school reform, not just school choice. I'm a big supporter of school choice, but I believe we need full school, school reform. And what I would tend to do is bring uh, trade and skills programs into our high school so that rather than our children just going to school and, and going straight to college and going into debt, they're going to be learning from actual business owners, actual entrepreneurs that have been on the field doing things in CPA, IT, uh, finance, uh, the, the trade, so forth. People that have been doing this for years, we give them a tax incentive so that they can uh, teach our next generation how to close that skills gap that the United States currently has. It makes no sense that we're calling people from overseas to fill up these jobs. At the same time, our borders are getting flooded. Yeah, our children have uh, no no hope for the future. Essentially, when it comes to when it, when it, when it comes to uh, uh, future job prospects and opportunities. And that's why I believe I see things like the way that I see them inside of the district. It's why I believe there's a lot of crime, there's a lot of drugs, a lot of violence here. And apparently, <clears throat> it, it, apparently it seems the Democrats uh, are intent on keeping it that way. This is how they're able to control the community. And I want to put a stop to that. That's great. And, and you did note in your on your website that, um, that uh, the current occupant, uh, Bill Crassel, Pascrell, um, Pascrell, excuse me, uh, votes with Nancy Pelosi 97% of the time. So it doesn't sound like yeah. he has Patterson, New Jersey's uh, interest at heart, does it? Well, no, he doesn't. He doesn't have the ninth district uh, at heart at all. Um, he supposedly is from Patterson, New Jersey, as well, but I never see him in this community ever, unless it's a photo op or there's some kind of political event going on. You never see this man ever come out. Uh, he's in D.C. all the time. His son, multi-millionaire lobbyist who sells access to his father, very similar to what Joe Biden does uh, with Hunter Biden. Um, it's, it's almost the same exact dynamic. Wherever Bill Pascal gets the chance, he's falling asleep, and he's leading our entire district off a cliff, and he's trying to take the state of New Jersey and the United States with him. Um, our future, us, the young adults, the millennials, Generation Z, the next generation of Americans, we're going to be the ones that are going to be responsible for carrying the torch and keeping our, our country moving forward. And the longer we hang on, we to these terrible policies that are doing nothing to benefit us, the harder it's going to be uh, 
uh, when, when, when we decide to have children, um, we're responsible for this. We're going to start paying taxes at some point. We're going to start buying houses. We're going to be contributing to the economy. And um, some of us already are in this generation. And we're living off of policies that have done nothing but benefit a small select amount of people. And this, this uh, candidate, or I should say this congressman, and the uh, Democrat establishment, they've been using minorities and African Americans to push forward their agenda for decades. They've been voting blue for over 40 plus years. And that's almost, even actually, correction, longer than that, about 70 plus years. Within those 70 years, 40 of them, Bill Pascrell has been in control of the city of Patterson. Prior to being congressman of the 9th district, he was congressman of the 8th district before redistricting. And then he was a mayor of Patterson. Before he was mayor of Patterson, he was state assembly, and Patterson was still within the assembly district. And then before that, he was on the uh, Patterson Board of Education. Before that, he was a teacher. So he spent almost all of his life in politics, yet he's one of the richest people in Congress. How is that possible with a salary of $170,000? I'll tell you how. You start, you start milking the money from the people. You start selling active. Your son starts selling active to you. You make backroom deals. And deals with some rhino Republicans that we have inside of the district. You know, it, it's Billy. funny. Go ahead. Go ahead, Curtis. I'm sorry. Uh, Billy, this, this is a co-host. From time to time, and I know this may not be in your district, but... Um, in the, the past 20 years, it seems as though Camden, New, New Jersey, and Trenton, New Jersey, has been, in, if not the, the top five, the top, the top 20 of the most um, dangerous cities in America. Yeah. Um, are you saying that the, the crime in your area is getting to be at that level? And why is that? Well, Patterson has made that list a couple of times. Um, it fluctuates between that. Recently, in the past, uh, in the past about four years or so, it's gotten more and more violent under this new mayor that we have currently. Andre Sai is doing a terrible job. Um, our police are understaffed. They don't have the, the resources or even the manpower to get the job done. There are about 160 officers understaffed, and uh, when there should be 23 police officers on the road at any given time, they're down to the six officers in the squad cars. And shape. People are getting bold, people are getting crazy. And I think uh, this COVID crisis doesn't help at all either. People have been locked inside their home for almost the entire year. Everybody doesn't know how to act right now. You know? and, and crime shot up over 72%. And that video you saw on my website, it was 60% when I made that video. That was wow. a really good year. Currently at 72%. Oh. Addison's approaching its almost close to hitting 200 shooters uh, this year. Um, and it just seems like it's accelerating every single day. But at the end of the day, we've got Democrat policies that have been in the position for a very long time. We've got bail reform that allows criminals to go out, do the wrong thing, come right back out on the street and reoffend until somebody actually gets hurt. You know, we got uh, programs like that. We have, we also have a, a, a lot of, of rhetoric that, you know, police are bad and we need to defund the police and fund and try and justify it by saying, oh, we're not talking about defunding. We're talking about taking money from the police and dedicating it to mental health services. And I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. We're already defunded. Take any more money from the police and the place can become a, a war zone. We become a complete war zone. And it already is, for the most part. You know, rather than actually requesting federal funds like a congressperson is supposed to do and actually help develop mental health programs and even build a mental health center or trauma, or trauma center here in the city of Patterson to help people deal with a lot of the issues they're going, going through, um, they would, he would rather push rhetoric and support the Black Lives Matter organization 
and I, I, I choose that to differentiate organization because the Black Lives Matter is a Marxist organization that's been manipulating the truth and the facts of what's actually going on in our community and using the, uh, the struggle of the African American as a battering ram to push through this Marxist agenda. And what they really want to see at the end of the day is before they can put this all across the uh, United States, they have to test trial these places. And the inner city is one of the places where they test, they test trial a lot of the horrible things that they slowly start to roll out. So are you facing any type of backlash uh, within the community when you start talking about uh, the Marxist organization of Black Lives Matter and, and how the Democrat Party has has really abandoned um, the black community, your community, um, the, the inner cities in America, not only in Patterson? Are you faced with any backlash from, from the community that, uh, you know, you don't know what you're talking about or – or are they in agreement with you? And, and is it possible to sway, continue to sway these people into the into you know your positive mindset? So there's 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 a couple of things that happen. Like if someone, if, if I am getting any backlash, usually someone saying that I don't know what I'm talking about. But for the most part, they don't know what they're talking about. And after they and they'll and, they'll sit, and, and, and before you even get to that point, usually they dismiss me right off the bat, simply because I'm a Republican and I'm a Trump supporter. And the second I get a chance to sit down and speak with me, hear my policies, hear the things that I stand for, and actually understand where I'm coming from, 99% of the time we agree on just about everything. Um, and on top, on top of that, most, most of the people in the inner city don't vote at all. They feel completely disenfranchised. So they're open to hearing a new perspective, especially a Republican one, because it's been a very long time since uh, Republicans even come to their doorstep. Sometimes I'm the, I'm the very first Republican that you've ever met. You know, um, And people are also open saying that they're sick of a, a new alternative in the political sphere in, in Patterson. So it's, it's not been a big problem, honestly, to get the point across. In fact, it's actually a good thing. Because, you know, how are you an African-American black dude from the inner city, the fourth ward of Patterson, New Jersey, one of the most dangerous parts of the city? You're a Republican and supporter of Trump. How's that possible? It opens up the door for a conversation, and it allows, it allows me to speak with people and at least hear their opinions, hear what's important to them, find out where they're coming from and what they agree with, what they disagree with. And I'm able to have a, a dialogue and, and, and speak with the constituents of my community and, uh, and actually get to understand where they're coming from. So it's never been uh, negative or people being hostile. Only one time someone was being hostile, but them being hostile to me actually caused a crowd of more people that wanted to learn more about what I was talking about and then they actually became supporters of me. So I wouldn't even call that hostile because I made lemonade with big lemons at that time. I got to give you a lot of credit because in your video, you, you're walking down the middle of, of the street in Patterson with carrying the American flag, and uh, you are you are not backing down one iota. So go ahead, Curtis. All right. <laughs> yeah. There's not going to be a. It shouldn't be ashamed of being American. We shouldn't be afraid of any of that. You know, I think it's something that no. everyone should take pride in. At the end of the day, no. in the day this is the country. What I hear from a lot of Republican candidates who are minorities especially those that are in the black community, they don't get a lot of support from the party. And I was just curious, um, are you getting any substantial support and um, donations from the Republican Party in New Jersey? Absolutely not. The, the Republican Party in New Jersey is a joke, unfortunately. Um, they, 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 there's a couple of, one, they have a, they have a short-sighted focus 
how to actually flip this space. Their strategy is if we focus on all these little outskirts rubbers, we'll eventually be able to flip the space. But none of them ever, 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 ever set foot in the city where they take none. For example, in my district, uh, the state county, the city, I mean, the, the county that Patterson is in, the chairman of the state county, about a month and a half ago, I've got the video on my page, about a month and a half ago, he came out to flip the Republican Club in front of a room of about 200 plus Republicans and stated that Bill Pascrell is his friend. And then he tried to include everybody. Bill Pascrell is our friend. Bill Pascrell is also my relative. And then he states that I'm going to concede Patterson and State to the Democrats. In my district, Patterson makes up 35% of the vote. State makes up another 15. Basically, this sort of room full of Republicans, a room that I'm sitting in, right, that he, that we're going to concede 50% of the vote to the Democrats. We're not even going to lift a finger in there. Why? There's a lot of backroom deals that have been made for the Pascal guy. These guys have a familial tie. They have no interest at all. A lot of the Republican establishment talks a big game about flipping the state, but they have no intention of actually fighting the real fight. They don't, really, they, don't, they don't have any intention of fighting the real battle and going into the inner cities and speaking to the people that matter the most. Where is a lot of this voter manipulation happening or election manipulation happening? It's happening inside of the inner cities. Where are all the voters? They're inside of the inner cities. Where do the Republicans go? They go to the outskirts. They go to the small towns, about 3,000, 10,000 people, and pat each other on the back because they raise so much money. And then they, they, they want a, a small council seat, which is great. And that's cool and all. But if you want to flip the state, if you want to flip America, if you want to actually save this country, you have to fight the fight that so you got to be back. No one else is willing to fight. And I'm one of those guys. Truth be told, regardless of what the GOP does, it's, it's kind of irrelevant because the people stand with me. GOP may never give me money. They may eventually realize that, hey, this guy's actually fighting a good fight behind him, but I'm not going to hold my breath. At this point, I've built my own. I, I've jumped off the cliff already, and I've built my own plan on the way walk, on the way down. And I'm building a support network as I grow and as I move. And um, we're, we're doing quite well. And I believe at some point they're going to have to turn up. They're going to have to turn and realize that it's like, you know, Billy's kind of on the right track. And I see a lot of them um, starting to, 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 to uh, turn a corner and see that there's actually a good opportunity to put this area. Yep. That's that's the biggest issue is with the with the institution looking out and and stating, well, you know, we're not going to throw money at that. That's you know, Pascrell is uh, he's been there. We'll just go ahead and focus on another. When in fact, they're the same ones that are talking about, oh, we need change. Well, if you need change, you know, let's start looking at Billy Prempa. Okay, let's start. Let's listen to his message and start supporting him and getting out there. I mean, you you uh, you you put issues on on your website, including immigration reform. And I find it interesting. Um, you, of all people, would be addressing immigration reform with the fact that you're you're a first generation American. So that meant that your parents were immigrants coming to America who pro- who came here legally, by the way. That is correct. That is correct. Not only did they come here legally, but I'll tell you a quick story that gives you a little bit of explanation as to why I'm really big on immigration reform. In 2015, and I was, just for the record, I was never really a big Donald Trump supporter or Donald Trump fan um, growing up. But growing up, I never liked him. I thought he was just a very arrogant guy. Um, and my father, he was a big fan of Donald Trump. He liked him. But um, 2015, Donald Trump was giving a speech and he's talking about how um, Mexican government. They're allowing, you know, lots of illegals to come in with rapists and drugs and all this stuff. And me, still being, uh, I guess, essentially uh, blind to the immigration situation, he said, this guy's a racist. It sounds really racist, what he said. 
mother cut me off. And my mother's someone who's lived in this country for over 30, 35 plus years um, in the United States. And she looked at me and said, Bill, no, like, this man's not racist. And now, my mom never voted, ever. The only time she voted was in my last race in 2020 for the same seat for Donald Trump last year in 2020. But prior to that, she said, no, this man's not a racist. She was like, listen, this guy is absolutely right. Every president that came before him wanted strong immigration. Barack Obama deported more people than any other president um, in our modern lifetime. What this guy's talking about is absolutely true. There's a lot of illegals that are coming into the United States. Why should someone be able to cross the border illegally and stay in this country? And he shows that me, me and the rest of your relatives, we were in straight-up poverty when we were in Africa. We were living in a kitchen in Ghana. And I brought 14 of your other relatives into the United States, every single one of them coming through the legal process. This man's not a racist. This man's not a racist. What the, the media is trying to get you to do is they're trying to get you to keep the borders open because if they keep the borders open and they have a whole bunch of people coming into the country, what's going to be left for the United States? And you see that problem going on right now. Wow. And I believe, I believe the DHS is estimating that there's about 640,000 um, illegal immigrants that could be here in the United States in the next four years. Um, so that's a, that's a very, very scary estimate. And hearing my mother... Um, break down that the wall is actually a very good idea, because I believe the rhetoric, like, oh, well, the wall is a bad idea. My mom's like, it's, it's, it's the smartest idea ever. Like, Bill Clinton was talking about the wall. You know, Nancy Pelosi wanted a wall at one point. Bush, all of them, all of them wanted a wall at one point. The second Trump said, let's put a solid plan to actually secure our borders and streamline our immigration system. Everyone thinks it's ridiculous. Your like, relatives waited 12, almost 17 years, most of them, to come into the United States. They had to go through a process. I want the wall. But my mom, you know, she voted for Trump the same way she voted for me um, in, in 2020. And uh, it, it was really eye-opening. And I did a lot more research on how bad the immigration crisis is in the United States. And uh, something that I've, always been, that, that I've always been passionate about was ending human trafficking. And I know it's very lofty goal. It's evil all around the world. And it may always exist, but I would do whatever I can to stop that. But when I started to find out just how many children and women are trafficked across the border, yeah. The numbers are absolutely accurate. One in every three women is trafficked into the United States from the Mexican border. You know, many of these asylum seekers that are coming with children, that's not even their parents. They've been kidnapped or, or smuggled into the country some other nefarious way. They use the children for all kinds of things back. And when I started to learn this, I believe that this was hands down one of the most important issues in the United States that needs to be resolved. And it's a national security threat keeping it open. And it's putting a whole bunch of lives at risk. It, it doesn't benefit the United States. It also doesn't benefit the Mexican government and the Mexican people as well, too, because it's causing a crisis at the border that no one knows how to solve. Well, Trump had a solution, but you know, now we got Mr. Uh, Joe Biden in there, Mr. Brandon. Yeah, and Donald Trump was pretty successful at, at uh, tempering the uh, the border after the media finally got out of the way and, and – uh, it, it turned out that, that his policies were right. And now you've got bumbling Biden um, now contacting uh, Mexico, I heard, and employing the same uh, Mexican policy, uh, border policy, that uh, President Trump had, had put in place. So now they're looking back to revisit that. So, again, Donald Trump was right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we commend you for what you're doing. Um, you know, I, I, I really love your website and, and your issues that you're tackling and, uh, um, you're really hitting it head on. And so, uh, Billy, any, any last words for us, for our audience? 
yeah, so I want to say uh, thank you all for joining us on the show. And um, if you'd like to help support me on this, and I, not even if you'd like, I actually would hope you would, you would help in this race. Because I'm going up against a tremendously strong multimillionaire incumbent who no longer serves our best interests. And I need your help. I need volunteers. I need a little quick phone call. I need your donations so we can spread word, get the ads out, get signs, and get volunteers to help push this movement out. We've got an entire year. That's all 2022. I'm campaigning early so that we can change impact moving forward. So if you can do that, please visit my website, www.billyprempa.com. That's www.billyprempa.com. for Michael, P-E-H.com. I'm going to put it in the chat room right now, and uh, and I'm going to ask our, our listeners to, to make sure that they visit your website and, and give to your campaign. Billy, Awesome. Really nice to talk to you and, and uh, good luck to you in, in New Jersey. I know you have, you're, you're a fighter, man. And, and, uh, and good luck. Okay. Thank you, brother. God bless you. All right, man. Right, Billy Prempa. Have a good day. Oh, wait a minute. Did I knock him off? Did I knock him off? I don't think I did. Okay. Wow. I'll tell you what, he has some energy, doesn't he? And he, he has the right attitude and, the one thing, Curtis, that that really resonates is a lot of people didn't like Donald Trump, who grew up in the Northeast, and you know the the media did all they could to to denigrate the man and and to to undermine the man's candidacy and presidency. But if you take a step back and you look at what he what he was doing, what his plans were, and what he did. You realize that you know all that noise outside was just noise. Um, he actually has done a lot of good, and you know, like Billy, many minds have, were changed. My mind changed. My niece, I have to say, she, she's African American. Um, I didn't influence her as to who to vote for. I just told her you. Don't give me this garbage from the from what the media says. I, you know, you need to look this up yourself. You need to find out. And at the end of the day, she came to the conclusion that she was really disappointed how maligned President Trump was. And she ended up supporting voting for President Trump in the in her very first election. And she had a choice. She could have followed, you know, the, the, all what was being said and her friends, but she, she actually looked at the issues. And when you looked at the issues and you peeled that on your back, you realized that, that Donald Trump was actually great for America. And certainly we know that now in hindsight going, you know, over the last seven, eight months, we see, or actually 10 months, we see exactly what, what uh, Biden has done to America at all aspects, whether it's the economy, the military, border security, uh, foreign policy. It's been an absolute disaster. And that's true. Um, I would go as far as to say that um, the left, just as they've been able to define our history and the Republican Party, they went out of their way to define um, Donald Trump as a racist, a bigot, and all these other things. Um, and once people really get to really look at his policies, they, they come to the conclusion that this guy's not a racist. He's not a bigot. You know, 
He's a patriot. And um, in my book, that's the next best thing to being a conservative. So, yeah, do we I, have I, somebody else? I think we do. I believe we do. Um, um, I think it might if it might be Hans. Um, let me see. I will uh, check. All right. I'll check. Oh. All right. So Billy said the right thing. I um, and and please, it's, it's Billy Prempa, P R E M P A H. It uh, doesn't matter if you live in Patterson, New Jersey, or not. The issue is really simple. The issue is is that the, the establishment is always going to go with these type. Oh, we have a you know he, Pascal is a, is is a is a tough tough campaign. Well, you know, at some point in time, you have to make a change. And Billy Prempa gets it. And uh, go to his website, www.billyprempa.com. Um, check out his issues. Check out his videos. He has some great videos. He's a very articulate man. He understands. He's passionate. And uh, I'll tell you, anybody who walks American flag down the main street of Patterson, New Jersey, seriously consider getting my vote. Um, he's running in the 9th District in New Jersey. And, uh, and as he said, You've got Bill Praskell voting with Nasty Pelosi 97% of the time, 97% of the time. And we know how bad Nasty Pelosi is. We know what her agenda is. Um, and 40 years in Congress is, is enough. It's enough. Do we really want change? Do we need to afford change? Absolutely. All right, Vito. Yes, Our sir. guest today, his name is Douglas Blair, not Hans. So oh, okay. We're from the Heritage Foundation, so introduce well, Doug yourself, Doug, Douglas. Yeah, hi, guys. How you doing? Good. How you doing? All right. Doing fantastic. Um, would love to talk to you guys a little bit about the Dave Chappelle uh, controversy going on right now. Okay. Why don't you uh, kind of give an overview of the Dave Chappelle and uh, and what's your take on it? Absolutely. So Dave Chappelle, for our listeners who maybe aren't aware, is a, a comedian, and he's been under fire recently for a new special he did for Netflix. Uh, this special is called The Closer, and he basically um, makes some jokes that the transgender community – was very offended by. So what ended up starting out as just kind of a couple of people on Twitter getting angry has become uh, massive waves of protest, quote-unquote massive. A couple of transgender employees at Netflix staged a walkout, um, and this has gained quite a bit of media attention. Now, um, I wrote a piece for The Daily Signal, which is the Heritage Foundation journalism arm, and I explained that uh, it's not as big of a deal as, you know, the media would make it seem, right? So we have this phenomenon where the uh, corporate media or the mainstream media will blow up a story because it fits a particular narrative. In this case, Dave Chappelle is, quote-unquote, transphobic and bigoted. Uh, but, in fact, it's, it's a small number of people driving the conversation on Twitter, and it's not reflective of reality. So... What do you, what do you think with the with the woke crowd with the woke movement 
And now you've got Netflix uh, uh, chair coming out and apologizing for, for Dave Chappelle. And I saw one report where, where somebody was picketing outside and say, well, f- speech should be free, but um, it shouldn't be offensive. And, and uh, it, it kind of makes me ma- angry that somebody would be offensive. I mean, isn't that the spe- opposition speech is what this country was founded on. Um, I mean, not Absolutely. all speech is going to be uh, 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 what do you call it, uh, in agreement. Of course. And I think what you're touching on is such an important point, specifically in the realm of comedy. I mean, Dave Chappelle at his, I mean, when you, when you ask, what is Dave Chappelle? He's a comedian. His job is to make people laugh. And sometimes, you know, those jokes are not going to be something that's always so friendly towards you. I think what's scary is that the transgender and the woke crowd have basically defined that there is a, a very thin set of, of lines that you can joke within. And if you step outside of those lines, you need to be canceled. Dave, I mean, what, what's happening to Dave Chappelle right now is really a cancellation attempt. This isn't anything like they're going to try and get uh, progress. It's very much you stepped outside of the woke orthodoxy. Now you need to pay. And to, to your credit, you, you mentioned at the very beginning that the, the Netflix CEO, uh, he initially stood by and uh, defended Dave Chappelle. But as we've seen in the last couple of days, he's, he's kind of cowed to the pressure where um, the, the, he, he said he screwed up, he needed to apologize, he, he wasn't humane enough when he talked with his employees, which is just, a, just goes to show that these, these people have a really outsized influence on the conversation, even as they're basically just located on Twitter. So Netflix spent a lot of money on, on uh, coming, um, coming to America Part 2, and one of those, the key characters, is played by Eddie Murphy, who's a comedian, who, if you've listened to any of Eddie Murphy's previous uh, routines, pretty, uh, pretty foul and pretty direct. So do they cancel Coming, back to, coming to America Part 2 because of, of what uh, Eddie Murphy has stated on stage? I mean... I be- yeah, no, I, I think that it's an, an interesting look at sort of who they're, they're targeting here, right? So Dave Chappelle uh, arguably is one of the most famous comedians uh, around right now. He's definitely one of the most well-known comedians, and Netflix is obviously a huge platform that's been, that's been promoting this special. It was an explicitly uh, Netflix special. It was made for them. I think maybe what's going on here is that um, he is, is sort of a unique circumstance, especially as well because who he's currently mocking right now, who he's making a joke, joke about right now. So in, in your, uh, on the Heritage Foundation, I see that you have a, uh, an article out, American wokeness threatens to infect Europe. Um, isn't Europe already infected with political correctness and wokeness? Now, you'd be shocked. Actually, they, they so far have, have been doing a pretty decent job of defle- deflecting and defending against a lot of the American wokeness. So in that piece, I speak specifically about the French and the British, and I'll use the French as an example. Um, the French education minister has come out very strongly against what he called Islamo-leftism, which is this phenomenon at universities where the sort of familiar woke ideology and the familiar woke vocabulary starts to get spewed around, uh, defense of Islamic values that tend to be more violent or in, in terms of, uh, not to say obviously that all, that all uh, Islamic values are violent, but it's, it's certain mm-hmm. values that are uh, antithetical to French values. And this idea that we're going to prioritize foreign values over traditional French values 
he's basically rallied against this, as has Macron. Macron has made incredibly poignant statements about protecting French culture and French identity and French history, defending statues from being torn down, uh, in direct contrast to how we've seen our political leadership in the United States sort of either tacitly condone or actively encourage uh, the, the destruction of statues of people they don't like. Um, you know, they, you would never see somebody stare down a tear down a statue, excuse me, of Napoleon in France, but you might see somebody tear down a statue of George Washington in Portland, Oregon, for example. Mm -hmm. So Europe has actually done quite a good job of defending against some of the worst tendencies of American wokeness. Yeah, I'm very surprised as to how Macron has has changed. Um, and, and I don't know if it, it took the fire at Notre Dame or it took the you know two beheadings in this country, um, but he really has grown a, a backbone and has pushed back against, you know, losing his identity, losing the French identity and the French culture. Isn't that right? Yeah, no, I, I do think it's very important to note that France has done a phenomenal job at making sure that some of the worst impulses of the American left has been sort of deflected in France. I think there's a lot we can learn from them. Um, to keep it also in Europe, the, the British have uh, instituted policies and have put out statements from the government saying things like, you know, if you will, uh, if you tear down statues, we're going to prosecute you. And, you know, any attempts to cancel, uh, you know, British history and British nationalism will be met with the response of the government, which is a phenomenal thing because they recognize what kind of damage it's done in the United States. They, they saw the summer of riots. They saw how Portland, Oregon burned and these statues were torn down and how it set American against American. They don't want that in their backyard. So they've done quite a bit to make sure that that stuff doesn't come to Europe. Doug, so, go ahead. You know, not too long ago, I say 10 years, we were hearing about how Islamists were coming here to our country and and making inroads with their culture. I mean, I was hearing things like there were airports that were installing little, little pools or whatever where Muslims could wash their feet or bathe their feet or whatever, and um, jobs and things were allowing for them to um, have prayer cloths so they can, you know, do their their they're bowing down um, five times a day, and and you don't hear about that anymore. Is that still going on, or or has it subsided, or is it just being overtaken by other other news um, events? Now, I can't speak to necessarily what's been going on in terms of those type of accommodations, but I do want to stress that there's nothing wrong with the religion of Islam itself. The problem is with the radical forms of Islamist terrorism. And to get back to the point that I was making about Europe is uh, they've seen that some of, obviously Europe has been hit and, and rocked with recently as well with some, some uh, pretty radical terrorist attacks that were performed by Islamist terrorists. So um, I think it's very important to note that there is a threat from radical Islam that needs to be addressed. Europe has done that both in a cultural sense and a defense sense. But uh, yes, there are, there are radical elements of uh, Islamism that we need to counter. And I would hope that the U.S. government is doing what it needs to be doing to make sure that those threats are mitigated. Yeah, because there was one, um, there was one push to, uh, when it came to driver's license, they wanted to be able to, especially their women, to be covered 
and only, all you could see was the eyes. And that wouldn't do the police any good, you know, IDing, you know, who was on that um, the license. So I was just curious. I, I don't hear about it anymore. Sure. I, I, I mean, I again, I, I think that what is important to note is that there are these elements out there, and it is, uh, it is not racist and it is not bigoted, it is not Islamophobic in any sense to say uh, we need to make sure that we're managing risks of terrorism and Islamic, uh, Islamist, excuse me, Islamist violence uh, appropriately. And usually that's how they intimidate us into um, um, submitting to some of this. They, they say, well, we're being racist or, or whatever. We're being averse to Islam. So I'm, I'm not sure. You know, I, I just think that um, we need to stand up for our our principles, our country's um, laws and, and traditions. And if they come here, they should be willing to to accept, you know, the way we do things here in, in the United States, as we would, you know, as they would expect us when we come to their country. Uh, Doug. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Well, um, just to go back to the uh, to one of your articles um, earlier this year, you wrote, "When government demands social media censorship, Americans of all political beliefs lose." Um, and you 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 mentioned or you took on you know Facebook, uh, Google, and uh, Twitter. Do you see much changing in the last five months? And what do you make of President Trump launching his own um, social media platform? Coming uh, upcoming at the end of the year and, and into 2022. Um, I think in terms of tech policy, um, we have seen that conservatives are censored pretty heavily on some of the, the normal social media sites. Um, the Daily Signal has currently been going through a uh, a bit of a spat with Twitter over one of our videos that we released. Uh, I, I believe it was last year on these horses at the border. Obviously, there was this large uh, controversy recently over photos that were taken of border patrol on horses and uh, Haitian migrants attempting to cross the southern border. Uh, the Daily Signal did a report unrelated to this uh, in, in the past, and Twitter has flagged it as something that's sensitive material. Um, so conservatives are definitely facing censorship and are facing uh, biased results and, and, and biased treatment from these social media sites. Um, I think it's I think it's good that the president or the former president, excuse me, is using his his American rights to uh, create his own social network platform. I don't I can't speak necessarily to how successful that will be, but sure. he definitely has the right to do so. And I, I encourage people to start looking into other options. Conservatives are being censored, so it's it may be time to start looking at other options. Yeah, with the New York Post uh, uh, being censored uh, on Hunter Biden's um, forays and, um, you know, picking and choosing what President Trump can play and deeply platforming parlor. Um, I think your the way you ended your article was was brilliant. It's very simple. And when free speech goes, so too goes the republic. And, you know, free speech being the benchmark, I think, of, of the Bill of Rights. I, I do think it's important for us to recognize that free speech is the cornerstone of American democracy. When you look at some of the values that the founders wanted to enshrine in the Bill of Rights, free speech was at the top because obviously they knew very well how 
uh, a tyrannical government that censors what you can say and how you can assemble and all of these things is conducive to uh, rule by a tyrant. King George III, one of the first things he started to do was crack down on uh, meetings by the colonists. So we've seen in history how a, a government that decides uh, what you can and can't say and how you can say it is very conducive to loss of liberty and loss of rights. So um, I don't know necessarily how these, these uh, tech issues are going to be resolved, but it is concerning what uh, Twitter and Facebook and YouTube can do for the conversation. And I think that as conservatives are starting to look for solutions, off-platform solutions are probably going to be the way that we, we win. Exactly. And uh, Douglas, we have like three minutes left. I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, Douglas Blair is the Administrative Assistant and Communications and Contributor, The Daily Signal, and you're with the, the Heritage Foundation, correct? That is correct. And I highly encourage your listeners to go on the Heritage website and the Daily Signal website. Daily Signal provides daily news coverage of some of the hottest topics of the day. We do policy proposals. We do culture issues. We do basically, if you can think of it, uh, we've got some stories on it. And then the Heritage Foundation is the largest conservative policy think tank in Washington, D.C. We have a, a full team of experts that's thinking about some of the ways we can solve America's biggest issues. So if you're curious about some conservative solutions to America's problems right now, totally go on the Heritage website. and We've got something for you. Definitely. I'm going to, I'm going to follow you on Twitter as well. Uh, Douglas, thank you so much for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Sorry we're, we're just about out of time, and we'd love to have you back and, and talk a little bit more about free speech, Dave Chappelle, uh, when this all unfolds. Absolutely. Yeah, I would love to join you, and thank you so much for your time. Okay. Take care, and and be safe out there. Thank you. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. Curtis, this three hours, we're down to like two minutes. Where did the time go? (laughs) I don't know, but as for next week, um, I was talking to Andy earlier um, this week, and she has a conference to go to, so... I believe next week is going to be a recorded um, session. Um, okay. Because I have something to do that same day, too, next next Friday, uh, October the 29th, I believe 29th. it is. Yes, so, sir. So we won't be live unless it changes before then. Okay. Well, we, we wish uh, Annie a speedy recovery, and, and uh, certainly we look forward to her being back uh, in two weeks, correct? So you and her will be back two weeks, correct? That's correct. Um, November the 5th, I believe it is. All right. Well, great. Hey, I've enjoyed this. Oh, man, my pleasure. I always enjoy, uh, you know, being here. And and this is the first time you and I have been able to be on the show together. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. First time we teamed up. I know, right? (laughs) (laughs) All right. All right. I want to thank Bigfoot and Duck and, and everybody uh, in, in, on the podcast. And, and thank you for joining uh, myself and, and Curtis. Um, prayers to Annie. And she'll be back uh, with Curtis on November the 5th. You're listening to the Southern Sense Talk Radio. Um, we'll, we'll catch you guys uh, next, uh, next show. Be safe out there. Thank you. Yeah. Hey, happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, happy Halloween. <laughs> All right. Break out my cup. Take care. Richard Nixon. Good. <laughs>
Hey, you'll at least be wearing a mask. Dr. Fauci will be happy. You're wearing a mask. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, God, the mask. Oh, man. <laughs> Oh my goodness! <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm a COVID they, victim. What's that? <laughs> I'm a COVID victim. That'll be my. Oh line. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We can have our Fauci <laughs> mask on. There we go. Oh. God. <laughs> All right. <laughs> oh. All right. You take care of yourself. Be safe out there, and and uh, congrats with your. Uh, with your, your book signings and, and uh, talkings, man. Thanks for all that you do. Really appreciate it. I appreciate it, man. Got to save right. this republic. That's correct. I love the positive spin you're putting on this whole thing, man. That's a, that's great. I, I, I'm going to have to, I'm going to remember, remember this and go down the historical perspective, you know, from starting with King George the third and, and, uh, and going to uh, war of 1812, the civil war, man, you, you put it, you put it in perspective. Yeah, I didn't even talk about the uh, World War One and Two, but uh, they were just as important. Definitely, definitely. World War Two probably reshaped America. It was the post World War Two uh, reshaped America, and I think it was Doctor uh, Sabrin that that talked about that. How um, yeah. it was Harry Truman who was the first uh, the first card, Medicare card holder. It's like, why do you take great pleasure in that? You know. Yeah, well, we came out of it a superpower. We did. But look where we are today. Okay. Oh, yeah. Anyway, have a good weekend. All right. You too. I'm signing off. Ciao.